everyone, and welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. As always, I'm Tannen Grace, and I'm joined by Ross Merriam, and today we're going to be going over quite a bit of stuff. Uh, if you're a fan of Standard, I know we've talked about it a little bit lately on the show, but I think over the last few months we haven't given it too much thought, and we've kind of been kind of negative on it, and that's going to be the other way around today. Uh, we're going to be talking a good bit about that, uh, World's Rundown. I, mean, uh, we're I, gonna be giving I you... wouldn't say I won't be negative about it, Tannen, but yeah, we will talk about it. way less negative than we said. <laughs> okay, how about that? It's going to be, like, we were at, like, a one. We're probably at, like, a solid five or something now. Uh, where the end of that scale is, I don't really know, but we're going to go with <laughs> this. Um, we're going to talk about what's up with Historic uh, today as well. Uh, lots of announcements going on there, some cool stuff, and I can't wait to hear how Kermergeny, uh is that an actual word? I'm sure Curmudgeon, that's a word. Lee, I would assume. How Curmudgeon Lee uh, Ross gets today. We have a couple of really good mailbag questions. We'll be, ta- we'll be sprinkling them in, in some other yeah. stuff into the show today when we get but to it. But first and most importantly, both the Braves and the Red Sox have advanced to the championship series in their respective leagues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you follow me on Twitter and you actually read my stuff, like if you, if you see stuff a lot, I, I am a very active baseball tweeter, right? You know, I'm, I'm a... I, I think the Atlanta Braves might be my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. In You're fact, one of the like, biggest baseball fans I've ever met in my entire life. Yeah. And it's like, I try to convey that to people without sounding ridiculous. It's like, I follow the minor leagues. Like I, I love our GM. So like, I'm always interested in like every move that we make. I love the business side of the game as well. Right. I'm not just there to like watch a game during the playoffs. Yeah. I, during the regular season, you don't know this, uh, major league baseball plays 162 games per team. And then there's the playoffs. On average a year, I miss about three games of watching yeah. them. I, I think you're a bigger Braves fan than I am a Jazz fan. It's close. Uh, I, I, like, I don't like comparing the two, but I, I am 100% yeah. sure that is actually true. Yeah. Like, I, I, I know, I don't know, like, the entire G League roster for the, yeah. the stars, but I know the, the ones that have a chance of making the NBA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, know the entire, I don't know the entire rosters of all the minor leagues because that'd just be ridiculous. Yeah. There's like 120 kids in there. But, you know, I know most of the important people, what level they're at, like where they're coming from. Like, yeah. you know, when but, people like, you know, when we get this new, we got this new kid that came up during like the end of the year into the playoffs last year and he's doing really well against a kid named Ian Anderson. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember in 2015 we drafted him the first round out of New York and they were like, yeah, he's just, he's just a fastball curveball pitcher. So like maybe he'll be a starter, maybe he'll be a reliever. And then like now he just has like the best changeup in baseball. So he's like very good now because he has that third pitch, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And people were like, what? And I'm like, yeah, and like, you know, they're worried about him coming out of high school because like, you know, he played the Northeast. So like they didn't get to play a ton, you know, because like, you know, they have to do a weather, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. I can I can do this, too. It's just that baseball requires more of you as a fan if you want to go that deep. Like there's so much there's just so much more. There's 162 games instead of 82 in the regular season. Like it's there. And there's so many. There's, you know, four different levels of the minor leagues. Right. It's yeah. It's, well, technically, there's more, but yeah, yeah. generally, yeah. there's four main ones, and there's even more yeah. than that. Well, technically, there's like there's like three main ones, but then there's like five in between all of that. Like you know, I mean, there's there's single A, double A, triple A. So everybody knows if you yeah. know minor league, but there's like there's, there's the high A, low A, high A, low A. There's like the developmental league. There's spring ball. There's like there's the stuff where just the rehab people are going on, and you're getting simulated. There's a ton of stuff. It depends organization to organization now because yeah. after COVID, some of the minor league teams folded. And so, because they just couldn't afford to keep going, 
and stuff like that. So lots of crazy stuff going on there. It just takes more devotion, I think, is what it is, right? Yeah. And, and, if, and, and if I'm not sure. Reversed, I would say the same thing. Yeah. If, and and I so I can't say where my line would be with the Jazz if it if if there was as much to follow with fan. basketball. You're a super fan. But I, I mean, but I don't know if I would get to your level if that level was available to me. I think you would out of not out of like necessity, like it's something you had to do. I think you just would because like your pursuit. It's a pursuit of knowledge thing. It's like it's. It, you know, my favorite baseball movie ever is called For Love of the Game, and that's what it is to me. I love baseball. Kevin like, Costner, Rene Russo, 97? Yeah, it's 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 my favorite baseball movie. Like, uh, you know, it's probably a crazy one to say that because most people always say, like, Field of Dreams or, you know, another the Sandlot. movie. The Sandlot. Yeah, Sandlot's great. In, in fact, uh, I actually made a Sandlot reference while doing commentary for Flesh and Blood, so I'm hoping that some of the audience got it. And then Was it You're Killing Me Smalls? No. Um, so in that game... You like start out with a hero and you have like equipment for your hero. Yeah. And then you like play cards, right? And uh, there's an equipment piece that almost everybody used for you have like a headpiece, a chest piece, like an arm piece, and like, you know, footwear, right? Like, you know, legs, sure. right? And one of the pieces that's really common in that one is that there's a pair of boots that are really good. And they're called like Snapdragon boots. They're like, make, they make you go fast, right? Like, they, they let you do more in a turn than normal, right? Yeah. And so anytime anybody would do it, uh, it generally is like, this is the turn I'm like, turn I'm pushing to like win the game. You know, like this is a big turn for me. And so I would always make a joke that they're the PF Flyers. If like he's yeah. activating his PF Flyers so he can run faster and jump higher, you know, kind of thing. So I think Magic generally has a, a little bit of an older audience that might get that reference. And especially like the baseball crossover is definitely bigger in Magic than it is in Flesh yeah. and Blood. And stuff so um yeah made the reference hopefully somebody got it but yeah i just I, I absolutely adore the sport um as a whole not just my team but you know obviously i'm a, a more of an expert for my team than other stuff and you know you'll you'll see me get kind of crazy i forgot where we were at the beginning of this there was i was going somewhere with this talk but whatever we're, we're just comparing how much of devotion it, it takes to follow, you yeah. know follow a baseball team that closely and like i said if the sports were reversed like obviously i would probably just be like yeah you're you're a bigger jazz fan than i am a it's not like i'm a bigger fan than you it's just it requires yeah. more of me exactly right? yeah. uh yeah but you know I, I like i watched the jazz preseason game last night mm-hmm. <laughs> and which is surprisingly difficult right now because they're not the jazz are not broadcasting their uh preseason games um yeah they're like so you had to watch the other teams no i have i i've i don't know i don't like they it's just that it's not broadcast on their norm or actually last night's was that they weren't uh the first couple they didn't they they didn't broadcast the away ones that was it uh and they had two away ones last week and two home ones this past week and uh but last night's was fun because they they played the bucks or the defending champions and both teams treated it as a dress rehearsal so the first half, it was literally the main rotations for both teams. It looked like a regular season basketball game. How many threes did Giannis take? Uh, he took two. He oh, no he well, over the co- more in this year, over right? the course of the game. He took three. He made two, and the third one was blocked. He also made like four mid range jumpers. He looked uh, unstoppable. If if he starts hitting threes, like I I he's gonna win every MVP for the next like four years. Like, yeah, no, no he, one's stopping like, that guy. And I I've watched him last year, and I watched him last night. His jumper looks a lot better. Like, his form looks better. Everything looks smoother. Yeah, exactly. He's one of those guys, the form looks so bad that he gets even, like, even if he's not a good shooter, he gets a worse rap because it just looks so ugly, right? Yeah. It looks so, like, non-athletic. But la- last night, everything looked smooth, and he, he was on point. It was scary. Like, it, it was, it's legitimately frightening because he's already he's just, so unstoppable he's just, he's near the rim. He's just LeBron now. Yeah, he's yeah. Like just LeBron now. So, like, that's, like... like it, and, you know, it was, yeah, he was impressive, so... They, but the the Jazz starters stayed with them. They had a two point lead at halftime, where it was that, and then the 
the Jazz actually went to the end of the bench for the, the entire second half, which is typical, but the, the Bucks wanted to leave their starters in a little bit more. And the end of the bench guys in Utah held with the Bucks rotation. It was a it was a tie game going in or something like that going to the fourth. They they lost the quarter by like two or three, right like right at the end. And then they uh, and then once the Bucks went to their end of the bench in the fourth quarter, Utah pulled back ahead um, and ended up winning the game. So it was a really fun preseason game to watch. Um, the Jazz rookie Jared Butler, who they got fortieth in the draft, uh, looked great. So that's really exciting. They. Uh, I don't think he's going to play a ton regularly during the season, but he will allow them to rest Mike Conley a little bit more right, without sacrificing big. a lot. And Mike Conley has not bet, was not healthy last year in the playoffs. Had in, He's had injury issues both seasons he's been in Utah. He's not getting any younger. And his injury issues are soft tissue injuries, which tend to be recurring and nagging o- over years. So the more rest they can give him this regular season, the better. Last year it was hard to do so. Um, because they didn't really have a, another backup point guard. Um, and and so when he got injured, and then when Donovan was also injured, Joe Ingles is their third point guard, basically. He plays sort of point forward, and he had to do that for the entire last, you know, 20 games of the season. And by the playoffs, he was gassed because he had been playing, you know, extra minutes and a much more ball-dominant, you know, uh, an energy-intensive role. So, yeah, a lot of this year for Utah is just going to be about like using that using increased depth to give rest to key guys so that they're healthy come you know come april and, and may and june so and and from what i've seen in the preseason it looks like they're going to be able to do that last Good. year their end of the bench was so bad like they if you if you look at it like um they're like offensive and defensive ratings they're they're they were top five in both but they were actually better than that if you cut out garbage time there's a website called Cleaning Glass that does all their stats without garbage time, uh, you know, stuff in. And if you look at that, they were third in offense, first in defense, <laughs> whereas otherwise they were like fourth and fourth. And it's because their end of the bench just got hammered over and over again <laughs> the entire season. So, yeah, it, it was a really fun preseason game. Uh, regular season for them starts next Wednesday. So basketball season is almost here, which is great. Um might make it a little bit more difficult to schedule podcast recordings, but we'll figure yeah. it out. <laughs> We're yeah. going to have baseball playoffs and basketball for the next month or so. And I'm uh, extremely busy the next uh, three, the next four weeks. I'm out of town doing, um, you know, flesh and blood commentary. So like I'm in, I'm in Dallas, Fort Worth this weekend. I'm in Cincinnati the weekend after that. I get a weekend off after that. And then we're going to have the national championship. So it's a big event. And I'm where, in Orlando. Where Nats? Uh, it's in Orlando. It's in Orlando. And I'm there for four days, you know? So like there's three, like the tournament itself is three days. So, awesome. um, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about it. Uh, then the Nats is going to be a challenge because the format is going to be brand, brand new. We, not only have we had a new set come out, but the, uh, the like odds on best deck had, uh, a card get completely banned from it, which means nine copies got banned because most cards in the game have three different versions of themselves. So they're like, oh, wow. you just can't, you just can't play this card anymore. And so that card got banned. A card in the new set came into being banned. In, in this form of the game because it's just they're like we made a mistake it's just too good like we can't let we can't let this deck have this have this card we're and fucked they, up and they have another card on the watch they printed jitte pretty much like not it's like there's no creature to creature combat but they printed a uh a weapon for this for this class that like is going to invalidate entire strategies and so they were like yeah we just like because like that was the only thing holding it back because like it 
it, that's what beat it in the finals. Like it was five of the top eight of the one that I did. And then it lost in the finals to a control deck, like a heavy control deck. And this new weapon that it was going to get is like absurdly good against control decks. So it's like, uh, we probably can't let him have this kind of thing. So, but yeah, but, you know, back to baseball for a minute, you know, like you said, baseball players are going on right now. Anybody who follows me on Twitter probably saw me losing my goddamn mind last week because, you know, round one was going on. We played against the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, shout out to them for an insanely good season. Uh, that team is great. I love how they're run. I love their manager. I love their front office. Like they don't mess up too much. And they just have a really good team together. Like they, uh, they hit really, they hit okay, right? But their starting pitching's really good, and their bullpen's really good. They got a little lucky coming into the series where during one of the celebrations, their setup man, who's probably the best setup man in baseball, or one of the best setup men in baseball, broke his hand during the celebration, so he couldn't play. So um, the biggest thing for us was, were we going to pitch enough to keep them? down because like we we have one of the most prolific offenses in in in, uh, in baseball and they have one of the best pitching staff so like it's 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 but they don't score a ton of runs so what ended up happening is what i kind of thought was going to happen is like we shut them out for like a lot of the series like we had back-to-back shutouts against them they didn't score for like 20 something innings you know which is a lot in baseball and in the last game everybody went kind of nuts they scored a lot of runs uh really really quick it was one of the better games i've ever seen it was like one team scored two the other team immediately immediately uh answered another team they scored two again immediately answered and then um freddie freeman had a career defining moment you know like when you think of michael jordan you think of that shot over uh russell for the jazz right that's the guy's what was brian russell yeah i almost said bill russell brian the shot over you know he pushes off and does the does the jumper from I'll, yeah. I'll say it, he pushes off he you know does the jumper from the free throw line like you think of that shot right you know um when you think of lebron you think of some of those blocks or whatever you know the, that he's the had chase down or, block yeah, yeah or like the 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 pass to Dwayne Wade for that dunk. Yeah, you know, the full like court that really, pass. The really I also think one. of that crazy buzzer beater against Toronto that he right, hit off the right. off the window. But a lot of the big time players of all time, they have that like one moment you look to, right? And yeah. Freddie Freeman is our Tiger first has the shot on hole sixteen of the Masters. Yeah, with just the ridic- with just the ridiculous you know fist pump and stuff. I remember this very much. Um, yeah. The, so the, it looked like the swoosh pushed the ball in. Yeah, I remember when exactly. that happened. My brother turned me. And it was like I like seven Nike executives just creamed their pants all at once. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. That, that was worth like a billion dollars worth of free money. Yeah, but uh, Freddie Freeman is like one of my favorite Braves of all time. Right? He is uh, a consummate professional. I'm not saying you, this is the only way you can be one, but he's one of those guys. Um, in every interview, you just hear him talk about his teammates, you know, like they're like, they're the best, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's, he's soft-spoken. He just goes out and does his job. He's always done it. Uh, he's been here through the entire rebuild that we had. Uh, we had to like, we were one of those teams that was really good, but it wasn't going to work and we weren't going to be able to afford to keep the entire team together. So instead of doing like what happened with the Cubs where they waited to the last minute, we blew our team up. Right. And we were really bad for like three years. And then we've won yeah. the division now four years in a row, you know, like you can call it a success. Right. And uh, he's the only guy who stayed. He's the only one who stayed through because with his age and how good he was and the extension they had him on, he fit the window, right, of, of yeah. being competitive again. He was going to be the uh, veteran leader in the clubhouse right. when everything came together. Yeah, and like he's actually going into the offseason as a free agent right now, which everyone is very surprised that they didn't get an extension done during the year. I cannot see him wearing another uniform. Plus, the team is making a lot of money this year, and that's a big thing. We're the only publicly traded team. We're actually owned by a corporation, not by an owner or owners in baseball. And uh, that actually hurts us in some ways when it comes to certain things. So, like, when the team's not making a lot of money, we don't have – you can't just go to the owner and be like, hey, can I, like, spend some more money? Like, you know, Steinbrenner and, like, the with the Yankees, you'd be like, yeah, spend whatever you need to do. Do it. Just, just yeah. win. 
we can't do that, right? So um, we have to be a little more savvy with our money. But I cannot see him working, I mean, playing for any other team. But anyway, what I was trying to get to is it's the bottom of the eighth, and the game's tied at, I believe it was 4-4, four to four, if I remember. This yeah, is game four? four? Yeah, game four, we're up 2-1. to one. So we win this game, we, they go home. It's best yeah. of five. Yeah, sure. round one in baseball is best of five, if right. you don't know. And this is another thing where I give a lot of credit uh, to the to the manager, the team Craig Council. Great manager, won a bunch of, you know, won a championship with the Florida Marlins while he was playing uh, in the major league. He scored the winning run. This is what this was a trivia question you asked me once, and I I, I could see him scoring. Is Edgar Interia single to men to, to win the World Series? Anyway, yeah. Um, uh, he brings in his closer in the eighth inning. You know, like a lot of people, especially you know, as, as soon as like five to ten years ago, that would not have happened because they're like, oh, you know, your closer gets the ninth inning, like blah blah blah. But the heart of the Atlanta order is coming up, including Freddie Freeman, who's like, you know, the reigning MVP, one of the best hitters in baseball, and he's left-handed. This is big for this thing. Uh, they brought in Josh Hader, which is the closer for Milwaukee. He's considered probably the best closer in baseball and he's a left-hander and he is dominant and not only is he dominant in just general but left-handers do not hit this guy very well like he hadn't given up a home run to a left-hander in like 20 something months or something like that I think it was like it's well over a year and a half um you know hitter left-handers just don't hit very well he makes mincemeat of the first two guys that he sees right and then Freddie comes up, and Freddie's known for kind of like ambushing the first pitch if he throw one a little too good. And Hater tried to get over, uh, try to get a slider over, and Freddie hit it 450 feet to left center to get a run. And I, I've watched the clip probably a hundred times since Ross from every angle, everything. Like it's going to be one of those defining moments of my life, like sports wise. You know, I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life. It was just utterly amazing. He couldn't contain himself. You know, the, the typical quiet, do my, he's going nuts. Like, people were all saying, they're like, I've never seen him celebrate like this in my life. You know, it's, it's the biggest moment of his career. He even said it too. Yeah. Like, that's, he's like, that is the biggest moment of my career. And we ended up winning the game there. And so, like, we're going into the championship series. And we'll be playing against. So, we're recording this on, what is it, Thursday at about 4 p.m. my time. So, 5 p.m. your time. Yeah. The, the Giants and the Dodgers are going to be playing each other tonight. And whoever wins that game plays against us. Really strange thing happens here, too. This is a, I think, 106 and 105 win team or 105, 104. I can't remember. And we only won, like, 90 games this year. But if the Dodgers win, we get home field advantage because we won our division and they're a wild card team. So it's really strange that we're going to have home field advantage on a team that won, like, you know, 14 more games than we did or whatever. So anyway, um, I have some opinions. I kind of would rather play the Giants because it's just the you know, the Dodgers scare me because they're the Dodgers, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, but like, they, but they've just been dominant for, what, like five yeah. years now. Yeah, I mean, overall, they've been the best team in baseball the last five years. Like, it's, Yeah, it's, and it's not know, close. Yeah, we might be one of the only ones that can, you can say, like, it's us and, like, Houston. You know, it's, like, the only yeah. teams that have had, like, that high of a, of a talent level. Like, Houston's going to be playing against uh, the Red Sox, like you said. But they just lost their ace for the entire series, so we'll see what happens there. Because here's the thing. The Red Sox have a really good offense. Their pitching is kind of questionable. You're going up against one of the best lineups I've ever seen, period. The lineup in Houston is top to bottom, one of the best lineups I've ever seen. Everybody puts up an absurdly good at bat. That team is going to score a lot of runs in these ballparks. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, and Fenway's um, a high-scoring ballpark, too. Yes, so, so is Houston as well. Yep. Both of these are not known as, as pitcher's park. So we'll have to see uh, what happens there. And hopefully one of those teams, is, if, it's, if it's down to a Red Sox-Braves World Series, you and I are going to have some fun. We're going to have a nice little bet on it too. 
So we'll have a, we'll have a little fun with that. But. Oh, yeah. If, if it's Red Sox Braves, it's you should follow us both on Twitter if you're not, and it's going to be great. Oh, yeah. Like, we're going we're gonna to probably have some crazy bet or whatever. Like, I can't shave my head or anything or during that time, but we'll, we'll see. Maybe afterwards. Maybe I can pay up afterwards or something. But we'll do something, we'll do something crazy. Um, I'm, not, I'm not shaving anything for you, Tannen. Nothing. I'm like just. Absolute, I'm just laying. I'm just, just. I'm just putting that down right now. I'm not shaving anything. There's. A, there's a few things I'd shave for you, Ross. Anyway, <laughs> um, and on that note, do you think we should move into some magic? <laughs> that. That might be a sign. That might that be we, a sign. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I usually kind of make this joke whenever organized plays happen with Wizards over the last couple of years. Like, there was an event over this weekend. You might not have known that, but there was. But it did seem like people actually knew that Worlds was going on this weekend. Um, you know, a lot of times when I was watching, there's thirty to 40,000 people on Twitch. I don't know how many of those numbers were real, but, we'll, you know, whatever. Embedded viewers. There At was least a decent of bit of people. There was, yeah, there was a decent bit of people watching this this weekend. And... Um, I don't remember who to quote exactly about this, but you saw some, you know, former, I, I say, I think we for, now formally say former MPL members, because I think it's officially done now, uh, if I remember right, right? Are they technically still MPL for another year or something like that? Do they get um, benefits for like yeah, a year or I, something? Yeah, I think there's another year. Yeah, whatever. Okay. People who were or who were either in or currently still are in uh, the MPL they're no longer under the gag order, it seems like, where they can't say anything. Like, they might not get... Remember, like, that thing leaked where it's like, if they say something bad, they get fined? And something like that. Like, you know, so people have been a little more free with their takes, right? And one of the prevailing takes I saw from this weekend, because overall, I think it was a very successful broadcast. Uh, it was interesting. There were new cool decks, is the prevailing thought was, so y- you gave us a tournament for high stakes where, you know, we had a new set just come out. The decks are new. People are playing different things and people showed up to watch. Who would have thought? Because for the last two years, the events have always been a lame duck format at with like two weeks left to survive. I'm like, yeah, we're going to make them play these adventure mirrors for the 17th time right before a new set comes out. And here's the thing you've known from the beginning, like, like remember the pro tours, how exciting was it to watch the pro tours and be like, yo, what's the new control deck from Wafa Tapa going to look like? Right. Yeah. Like what's the new aggro deck going to look like from, you know, I don't want to date myself. There's been, you know, a bunch of good aggro players, but like, what's the new, you know, mono red deck going to look like? What's this new, you know, what's Brad Nelson playing this weekend in standard? Like, did they break it? Did they figure something out? You know, it was, it was one of the, like the, the, the first opens from star city games, you know, when standard was, was a thing. I remember, you know, they'd have, you know, 10,000 people watching those opens. They'd be directly shaping the metagame, you know, all these new decks and stuff. So it was really cool to see, brand new decks come in and like cool new innovations you did get to see what like normally happens at very small tournaments stuff like worlds have always had this effect where the field is going to be relatively small so you might not see as many different decks and you'll see some weird card choices and weird numbers nothing too drastic but you do see some weird stuff there but yeah you did get to see one of the problems with the format i know you've i think you've come out on record and saying you think iron's epiphany probably needs to get banned for the health of the format um, yep. more on that soon. We'll talk about that in a minute, but, um, you know, some other people agree with you, but it definitely showed in the decks that showed up, you know, that, that were, uh, prevalent at the event. And the fact that you got one extreme or the other, you got all runs epiphany decks or you got aggro decks. There was only like maybe one deck that could be considered like a true mid range deck. Maybe. In the De- format. deck, I would have called. Exactly. Well, even yes. that was pretty aggressive. Right. It was an aggressively slanted mid range deck. 
Yeah, with like negates, you know, like, and, and and sort of so is Takahashi's deck, and like they they were both ag- more aggressively slanted mid range decks that had enough you know counter spells to stop the over the top things, but could board into a true mid range deck to beat up on the on the aggro decks, and unsurprisingly, those are the two decks in the finals. They ended up being really really well positioned, and a lot of it was due to the power of Goldspan Dragon that people had stopped respecting. Because generally, people weren't playing Goldspan Dragons a couple weeks ago, and it's because everybody played Ren and Seven on week one. And so Ren and Seven was everywhere, and it was suppressing Goldspan Dragon, and then Allrun's Epiphany comes in, these, you know, controlling Epiphany decks with the Galvanic Iteration, and they suppressed all of the Ren and Sevens. And, you know, the people that figured it out, like, oh, this Goldspan Dragon card nobody can fucking kill, <laughs> then yeah. these are all, they're all made decking burning hands. Hey, let's talk about that for a second. You know what card didn't show up at the World Championships? Ren and seven. seven. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they were like, I, they were doing an interview with Paulo about his mono green deck. They're like, oh, like only one or two copies of Ren and Seven. I can't remember. And he had is like, yeah, it's just not that good right now. Like, yeah. You play it against the Epiphany decks and it sucks and it and it's it doesn't fi- do enough. Yeah, like you want to have a couple at the top end because it can be really helpful. Uh, but you definitely don't want to draw too early. They muck up your draws. E- even it's good with your chariot draw. You know, it's like yeah. Copying that token is really effective, but... And uh, Dupra actually also found a hole in the metagame with um, Reckless Stormseeker, a card both of us were high on during preview season. Ended up getting suppressed a little bit because there's a lot of red removal around, and early on it was all Cathartic Pyres and Dragon's Rages, and that cleanly dealt with the the Stormseekers, but those became main deck Burning Hands because Mono Green was so popular, and then Mono White came up and Burning Hands was still fine against White. And suddenly, like, people just didn't have the removal in order to deal with Stormseeker. And so Depra kind of cleaned up with Stormseeker into Goldspan Dragon until he got to the finals when his Stormseekers were running into Dragon's Rages because Takahashi also had uh, Goldspan Dragon. So it was it's really a story of, of those red cards, kind of week one red cards, that got invalidated by the cards that Epiphany ended up invalidating. You know, by the Renin Sevens, by the Storm the Festivals, by, uh, you know, even the, the Blood on the Snow decks were really good. Again, like, those are the decks that were beating up mid-rangey decks that we, people were playing on week one. And then those decks got completely beat up, like, just slaughtered by um, by the, the controlling Epiphany list. So there's a pretty clear metagame progression here. And, uh, and you know, you got to hand it to the two people that found the exact spot in the metagame that they needed to be. And those two people, you know, really dominated the tournament in the constructed portion. And when the constructed portion is over 70% of the tournament or, um, yeah, it was 70% of the Swiss. And then, and then also the top eight, of course. So, uh, you know, no surprise that the people that dominated constructed were more likely to, you know, do well in the event than the people that dominated limited. And that's a really good point. Let's talk about that for just a second. Uh, Utah, very famously this weekend, if you were watching coverage at all, so the first three rounds of the tournament were draft, and Utah did not win a match. He was 0-3. He 7-0'd his way through the standard portion to, to make the to make the, the top cut, and then ended up winning all of it. Uh, very famously, when he makes it, when he wins the last one, you know, they had the cameras on the players, he, he was actually, like, weeping with joy. Yeah. He was, like, so overcome with emotion. And then again, you know, when he won, just super overcome with emotion. That was good to see. That was, that was nice to see, Ross. Like, it was nice to see someone, like, really emotionally like that's what it's about right you know you love seeing that especially like knowing this is going to be the last one for however long yeah for the foreseeable future um no it's it's definitely you know i've watched i i the first world championships i remember following and watching was 2003 
This was the Marari's Wake Worlds, where there were six Wake decks in the top eight. And then Wolfgang Edder playing uh, Goblin Bidding. And was it Jeff Cunningham playing Madness? It was somebody got Madness, and Jeff was famous for playing the deck. But I'm not sure if it was him specifically at that tournament. I was Um, on the fringes of of, of this, by the way. This is like right when I was coming back. Yeah. And, you know, I remember watching that, that Worlds coverage. And back then, if you don't know, Worlds was a four-day event real uh, quick real quick is this the julian nelton no next year was newton uh 04 okay that's the one where i was like i was back yeah et- eternal slide when he was beating up on affinity um so the uh the 03 you know the so back then worlds is is this four-day event there's six rounds of swiss for three days straight three different formats there it was always standard limited and then Sometimes extended. it was extended. At yeah. one point, it was legacy for a little bit. Yeah, when um, it was a little when it was a little younger, like when like, yeah. like when extended was legacy, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. but t- towards the end of this format for Worlds' is life, they they mixed in some legacy occasionally, like late two thousands, they did that. But it was generally extended, standard, and and limited. You would do two two drafts uh, on the limited day, and so you'd play eighteen rounds of Swiss, cut to top eight, and then standard top eight, best of five on Sunday. So it was a long event. It was always super fun to watch and. You know, I've probably watched, you know, t- you know, close to twenty, at least probably fifteen different World Championships in my life, and th- this is definitely, you know, I think this has to be the most memorable champion. You know, uh, and there, there are some tournaments that are really memorable, like uh, you know, uh, the Chapin Nassif match in like '08, I think it was. That might be the most entertaining match of Magic. I've yeah, ever watched. you yeah. know, th- there's. Uh, you know when Seth won that finals match and that Rock Mirror was really good. There, there, um, Mahara um, almost punting to PV in 05 and then you know finding a way out of it in the top eight and then going on to win. Um, there have been some some really good moments over the years. So, but this one, you know, it it's it's rare that you see you know somebody have essentially the, everyone's support. Like I, I don't think there was a person in the in the world other than like Depra's friends that were that yeah. were rooting for Depra to win that final match. Yeah. yeah, like and and maybe that it might have been split. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh yeah, this this guy's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like so, that guy. Yeah. Uh, really, you know that that kind of feeling is pretty incredible, and I'm sure Utah felt it as well. At least I I hope you did. Um, so yeah, that, you know, the, the human element is certainly the, the going to be the long lasting story from this tournament, you know, what five years from now, we'll forget about the nuances of Goldspan Dragon yeah. being well positioned for the weekend. Uh, and we'll just remember, oh yeah, he just fucking 11 out constructed and, and ruined everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just a, an awesome tournament. Um, and to me, like it, it I'm still kind of of the, of the opinion that epiphany should be banned. Um, but I I at least like that there is some churn still happening, but it's sort of happening within the same couple decks, um, which is a bit of a problem. Like basically, is it dragons is good? Like we know that you can you know we know that there's a middle way that you can find where is it dragons can get underneath Epiphany and can stay over the top of the aggro decks. Mm-hmm. At first, I did not think that that any deck could find that space to exist in, but is it dragons certainly does. It was shown to last weekend. It's still having success since then. So I'm glad that the, we're carving out that space, but that's really just an aggressive version of the Epiphany deck, right? Mm-hmm. Like, instead of playing Galvanic Iteration, you're playing Goldspan Dragon, uh, and, and you're not playing Burn Down the House. So if, if it does feel a little bit different. It's not as combo-y, but 
um, it's sort of a two-turn combo. Like, you, you play Goldsman Dragon, you protect it for a turn, and then you kill them. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, like, that's that's pretty much the thing, right? Like, the deck just tries to find one of its big plays in Goldsman Dragon or, or whatever, you know. And you have this safety valve kind of thing of, uh, of you know, the Time Walk just sitting there. Uh, Depra's deck was pretty cool, right? The one, the other deck in the finals, you know, we talked a lot about the blue-red decks, but we, fi- we finally saw a deck that wasn't, you know, is it do well in this tournament, and his was um, it's it's green red, it's gruel with a little slight splash in it, right? Like he's got two negates main, he's got two disdainful strokes in the sideboard. But like you said, you know this this deck has reckless stormkeeper in it, it's got goldspan dragon in it. But you're looking at you know a couple of moonville regents as well. But besides that, you've got jasper sentinels, prosperous innkeepers, and magda brazen outlaws as early stuff that can get things onto the board, right? They can work in tandem together to, to make a bunch of treasure tokens and generate extra mana. And that way you're casting, you know, big Shatter Skull Smashings. Ezekiel's Chariot on turn three. You know, you've got Ranger Class is a really good card to sink your mana into. You've got Dragon's Fire as like, you know, the good removal spell in the set that costs one in red. You know, and like I said, you've got these in the gate. You've got a few uh, creature lands as well to kind of throw this mana into. And then you got some, you know, some cool cards in the sideboard and stuff, right? Like to do like that. But the deck overall seems like a pretty typical green red beat down deck you know just try to cast a gold span or a zika share as, as quickly as possible and then negate the important card from your opponent and people were doing that on week one like the, yeah. the first big tournament week one was won by a, a teamer you know aggregate or like mid-range deck i think this one was a little bit heavier on the ramp which makes sense you know you're trying to go over the top of the other aggregate decks and yeah, then and race to up. the chariots yeah. and dragons so you can kill the, the epiphany decks because they just have too much good one for one removal for your twos and threes, you can't really rely on them to beat down that often, with the exception of Reckless Stormseeker, like I noted. Uh, and he had you know four of those in his 75. So, um, you know, I, yeah, the deck made a lot of sense. I thought, to me, I thought that that deck was going to get run over by the aggressive decks. I thought, you know, if you, but if you, uh, you know, if you have enough ramp and you build enough consistency into that part of your engine, then you're going to get to your Goldsman Dragons and your, Azika's chariots, and then the the you know uh, heavy emphasis on treasures, like you said, makes Shatter Skull Smashing such an impressive card, especially in aggressive uh, you know uh, matchups. So you're able to you know maybe fall a little bit behind, but then untap and cast a big Shatter Skull and immediately pull back ahead. So uh, you know whenever you're generating a lot of mana, you definitely want to have access to some cards that give you that catch up potential, and the fact that that card is also a land in the control matchups. Yeah. So it's not going to clog your hand in in those matchups is uh, r- really really nice and just um you know just shows you how good Shatter Skull Smashing is which if you remember I rated as the best of that cycle which some people didn't I couldn't understand why I like I remember that like this was an an article we did where like five of us just ranked the five of them of of that cycle and other people just had way different rankings to me and I just like looked around like are you like this was just to me it was just so obvious that it was the best one it was the one that was relevant on turn four like all the other ones are seven mana spells this is a fucking like, five four five and six mana spell so yeah um uh shatter skull smashing great card just you know it, it's it's easy to overlook a lot of the little decisions that both of these players made utah and Depra, but there was a lot of very it's smart impressive deck building um, even if on the surface it kind of looks obvious or in hindsight it looks obvious, like that kind of stuff is not obvious when you're actually trying to put together a deck and also be prepared for limited, you know, for a multi-format tournament. So uh, some really impressive deck building and really cool to see, you know, I remember th- thinking that there were sort of uh, 13 people either playing Epiphany, Control Epiphany, 
um, you know, mono white or mono green, and then there were the three others, and two of the three others ended up being in the finals of the tournament. Yeah, exactly. And uh, one of the things I think that surprised me the most of the tournament is just how little we kind of heard from the mono-colored aggro decks. You know, the mono-white deck, which we had the white deck splash blue and, like, the mono-green decks. Because, like, you know, besides the Teamer Treasures and the Is It uh, Dragons deck that we saw in the finals, the other two decks were Is It Epiphany, which is more the combo version of the deck that we're talking about, and Grixis Epiphany, which is the combo deck of the Gin of the, of the, yeah. of the deck, but it has that black splash in it. And we just, those were the decks that made the top four. And, like, yeah, the, the, the limited uh, record counts, right? You know, like, it counts towards it. But I'm looking at the decks, you know, that, that showed up here, and it, it just seemed like all the ones at times that I, that I saw or all the players that I follow on Twitter that were playing Mono Green River were just getting run over, it felt like. Yeah, I think everybody, because of what had been happening in the SCG Tour Online and in some of the other events that had happened in the weeks leading up to Worlds, by the time that the you know, worlds came around, aggro was sort of public enemy number one. Everybody thought, okay, like I'm building an epiphany deck. I know I need to beat the mirror, but we've been working on that for a while. I really have to beat aggro. And it's not that hard in such a small field to tailor your, you know, removal spells properly. That's not going to cost you in the mirror, right? Going from cathartic pyre to burning hands doesn't, doesn't cost you at all. The only time it costs you is when they have Goldspan Dragon, uh, which most people didn't. Or even if they have Smoldering Eggs, and uh, in the control versions, most people had maybe like two eggs in the board. So um, it ended up like they ended up getting punished by the few people that were willing to put those creatures in their main deck from the Epiphany decks. But as far as Mono Green and Mono White went, just playing main deck Burning Hands was the way to go. And that, so that was a pretty simple change that people could make. Make sure you have a couple, um, you know, a couple sweepers. And then I actually really liked <laughs> and. I, I really like that Andrei Strasky boarded in Goldspin Dragon <laughs> in the matchup. Um, I think that ended up being really smart because I, I bet the, the green players like were boarding out a lot of their removal. So I think it would have been bad to have in game one because they have all these inscriptions and Blizzard Brawls in their main deck. And, but, you know, in games two and three, it gives you a, di a different angle of attack. Um, it lets you set up your combo a little bit faster and it, it lets you, you know, play defense by playing offense which is a generally a good thing to do so uh yeah you know for the most part people were just prepared for aggro it seemed like it didn't do very well i'm trying to think of the of the people that were in the playoff even to make the top four and it was just sam party on mono green um ely was the one who missed out on the playoff because he had the worst breakers of the group he was playing grixis and i think there was another grixis because there, yeah it was a grixis mirror on one side of things um so you know in the top seven players in the event Mono, mono green and mono white, which was five out of 16, about 31%, you know, are taking up one of seven, which is 14%. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a small sample. So the percentages are, are going to vary a ton. Like if, if you get one more person, one more win that's mono green or mono white, then it looks at 28 and, the, and it looks like they've done about average. So, and I'm not sure like how much of a difference limited records played in that. Um, but certainly, yeah, just not, not a good showing for aggro. And that's mainly because they're linear decks. Like, you know, the, I'm sure the people playing aggro knew that, the, you know, there was a target on their, on their backs and that, but unlike a more reactive deck or a mid range deck, there's not really a lot the aggro decks can do about it. You know, you, you had your main deck is your main deck. You're playing the most efficient threats at each spot in the curve. You're playing whatever removal spells are available to you, especially if you're a, a mono green or mono white aggro deck that usually doesn't have a lot of removal. You're not going to go into another color because you need the snow mana base for Faceless Haven. And if you're green, you need it for Blizzard Brawl. So snow is sort of your second color. And so 
there really just isn't there just isn't a lot of uh, opportunity for you to adjust your deck. Your decks are not malleable, so that's why you know as aggro players, you you usually you know you're not tuning your deck week in week out as an aggro player most of the time you're picking a different aggro deck the one that people aren't prepared for but in standard the metagames are so narrow that you really just can't do that so i think it was just a poor week to play aggro uh and uh, you know uh it would be and i'd be interested to see like you know why uh you know pv and, and sam played mono green and seth you know those are three of the stronger players in the field especially seth and pv no shot to sam sam is also a world-class player but um you know uh, and PV, as he, when he tweeted about it, says like, you know, I've never registered mono green in a tournament of this importance. And the, the, he happens to register it on a weekend where it's actually, you know, not, not well positioned, uh, is, you know, very surprising. So, um, not sure why they, they ended up doing it. Maybe there was an issue in their testing. You know, I, I have no fucking clue. I wasn't, I wasn't there. So, uh, but yeah, it just wasn't, well, it just wasn't a good weekend to play aggro, at least not like straight up aggro. Let's talk another second about the fact that uh, this is going to kind of bridge the two things that we're talking about here because we are going to talk about there was a ban and restricted announcement today and nothing happened to the standard format. Kind of begrudgingly to a lot of people, like you're on one end where you're like, yeah, I think this needs to happen with Arms Biffany or a lot of people are like, no, let's let the format shake out a little bit. The deck hasn't been as dominant as people think it is and we have a new set coming out in a few weeks. Or technically, you know, two months or whatever, but we're gonna start seeing previews. I think in a week or two. Well, the set is coming out in one month. One okay, month. okay. It's, yeah, yeah. It's out on the seventeenth of November. Yeah. Happy birthday to and, me, by the way. And pre- previews yeah. are gonna start on Halloween weekend. You know, while yeah. the in- invitational is happening at, at SCG Con, that's when previews are first gonna start. Yeah. Which makes sense. It's in a threat set. They they were definitely gonna start doing previews on Halloween yeah. weekend. Yeah. So I mean, let's let's see what happens, right? Like, you know, maybe something comes out of this deck where you know vampires get really aggressive. Or something right or werewolves get really aggressive you know like there's a good mono red deck or there's a really good red black deck or something you know that's just it's got enough good one and two drops to put such a uh to put such a clock on the decks that and like you know you can play duress or something right or it gets a good planeswalker that you know like remember when we got sorkin uh sorkin I've been watching too much of <laughs> Soren, Andrew Sorkin, stuck in my head. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I've been uh, listening to this new podcast about the West Wing. It's been very good. Anyway, um. And remember we got Soren and like it just took what usually is like you know usually the tribal decks in Magic in, overall in Magic history tribal decks have been a joke like they have overall they have not been very good they've always been a little underpowered but then like we keep getting sprinklings of stuff here or there eventually all of it's good enough right like we see multiple of them in Modern and Legacy and sometimes they're good enough in Standard and in Standard it took a deck that would have been like kind of a, a hokey aggro deck that would have been good enough to win games to all of a sudden this like you we played it as a, you know in our team multiple times in the team events it was like the best deck in standard when vampires was in there so like you know maybe we get something like that some some card that just makes the deck you know go from like a b tier to an a tier and then that way now you have a good aggro deck right and when you have a good aggro deck that's hurting the combo controlled you know like the the what would be the alrun's epiphany deck in this format if you have it to where like that is a severe problem for you to to possibly bring this deck to a tournament and you have to make big time concessions for you to win that matchup, that's when mid range decks can come in, right? A deck that can beat that aggro deck and then be shifty enough to still compete with the other decks as well, right? And so now you're getting that format that has more than just the one of two ends like we were kind of talking about. So like hopefully that's my hope is that we get something like that to kind of open to up stuff just up. a little bit more. 
Yeah. Now, that's my hope as well, and I'm I'm somewhat optimistic there because one of the reasons I think tribal decks – they also haven't been very good recently in Standard, and one of the reasons I think that is the case is this new way of, of, the, of releasing sets without blocks. And I think what has happened is every set seems to have some little bit of tribalness to it, uh, you know, for flavor and because people like tribal stuff. Um, and, but it's only in that one set. So when you build tribal decks, there you're building a you know your deck out of one set usually. Maybe you get like one extra piece, like wolves. Werewolves has werewolf pack leader from the from the AFR, right? Uh, and maybe you got like one one other card. Maybe you get a removal spell from another set. But like the the core of your deck is coming from one set, and that tends to lead it to be over to be underpowered. And so you don't see the the cross set synergies happening as often because they're all different blocks. They don't have any any thematic link to them. But with this uh, Innistrad release in the fall, we have two larger sets that are both Innistrad sets. So we should see more zombies, more vampires, more spirits, more humans, all the Innistrad tribes. And I think that'll help those tribes specifically for standard to have two sets supporting them. The worry is that tribal aggro decks also need good mana. And it's. And I was just thinking that too. And I was thinking about the black red deck. I was like, you don't really have good lands. You need. You have two good dual lands, but you really need a third. Like for to make a two color deck work, work, you need three good dual lands, and you can play the slow lands in an aggro deck. They'll be a little awkward when you draw a lot of them. That's fine, but as long as like you know the you have a third set of dual lands, I think that'll work. So, but the thing is, I'm expecting this Innistrad Crimson Vow to just complete the cycle of those slow lands, and that's it. They're, and that's going not, to, and that's like, not going to do enough. You know, maybe if we get some tribal lands in there, I'm still fucking pissed that um, the party land, like it was called base camp. Yeah, yeah, like why did that land come into play tapped? If that land I entered untapped, party decks might have been like playable. Playable, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, why for, in the for, world did that land enter un, un, enter tapped? Yeah. For, what are you me, so fucking afraid of to like give us good mana? Every format that has good mana ends up being good. It means, because, it means it being very good. Yeah. yeah, because good mana means flexibility. It opens up possibilities that you know w- you otherwise don't have. Mana is what sets the bounds of what is possible in Magic. Because if the if your deck isn't consistent enough, then it doesn't matter how powerful it is. So like you're you're always operating within the constraints set by the mana in a given format, and then trying to find the most powerful thing within those constraints. And if the constraints are so big, that are so tight then the most powerful thing gets found relatively quickly and there's not much the rest of the metagame can do to adapt. We saw that happen in comic outblock constructed when the mana was horrible. We see this happen a lot in artifact based sets where everything homogenizes around really powerful artifacts. But somehow every time we have fucking Ravdika in standard, the format is great and it's because we have good goddamn mana fixing. So just give us good fucking lands. It's not that hard to figure out. Mm-hmm. Send me a check wizards. I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> my, my, my my kingdom for a black leaf cliffs my yeah. dms are open yeah so are mine oh, by the way they're open they're i, open I will say this, i'm probably a little more expensive than ross is just so you know i'm also, very cheap yeah it's like it doesn't take much just give me some wine and like some <laughs> <laughs> doesn't even have to be good wine just a reasonable mall back like 12 bucks at the kroger yeah. I'll, I'll be fine see he'll even go for for mall back i won't even do that i need at least a little bit better than that but uh anyway exactly like you know i I gotta agree with everything you said there and you know this kind of leads into the discussion that we were talking about we kind of we got to tease it just for a second there 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 was a big announcement there was a banned and restricted announcement and and it goes a step further 
uh, and we're, we're going to talk about why right now. And so, um, some some new things have been going on, you know, with Historic and all these other other formats. And I'm going to talk about the three cards that got affected from Historic, and we're going to have a little bit of a conversation about it. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Tibalt's Trickery and Memory Lapse. These are the two new ones. There's a third card. Tibalt's Trickery is now banned in Historic, uh, and Memory Lapse is suspended in Historic. The third card is Brainstorm. It went from being suspended to banned, officially. I have a problem with this, and I have a slight problem with this. We all knew Brainstorm was going to be too good, right? Like, whatever. They printed it, whatever. You know, we made, we made do. Um, you finally got your wild cards for Brainstorm today, or yesterday, or whatever, when this finally went through, right? So and in yeah, a few yeah. months, you'll get them for memory lapse. <laughs> yeah, in a few months, you'll get them for memory lapse, because we've, we've known forever these cards are not okay, right? And you've had to just sit there and wait, right? And, and Brainstorm was a rare in this set. You know, these cards are rare. So, like, you're having to use rare wild cards. Now, for me, it's, like, whatever, right? Because, like I said, I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm rich in Arena. But still, Arena pisses me off, and I don't want to play it anymore because we've talked about this so much, but the economy on it is shit. There's literally no other way to put it. There's no good way to put it. It's really, really bad. And so, and we're going to get into this more, right? But... So people, get, you know, get their wild cards for Tibble's Trickery and Brainstorm, right? If they have them, and then they have, to, they have to wait for memory left. Now, what about those people that are like, they get on and they get to play their one deck that they own, right? In Historic, like they own the Jeskai deck in Historic. They're like, they're super excited, right? So not, not only did you just screw them, because like there's a card missing from their deck now, so I don't know what their deck's going to look like. They're not going to get the, the wild cards to replace this card. And now they might need a whole new deck. And there's, there's nothing for these people. Right, get fucked. We don't care about you. Yeah, and so we don't have to go super far down the rabbit hole, but that's just a big problem that I have. The other change here, and this is a new thing to happen to Magic, even though we've seen some precedent of this over the last uh, year, year and a half, two years, especially like the companion rule. Five of the digital only cards are getting changed. They are actually rebalancing the cards. Were these were these cards problems in any way? I didn't yeah, think any problems. of the digital only cards were good. No, a couple of them are problems. Like they made them like some of them better or whatever. But like one of the ones is uh, Davriel's Withering, the one that had like the combo, you know, because it like it does uh, the what now? The, the removal spell that gives like minus one, minus two or whatever, and you could do it to like your own uh, Vesper Lark or whatever, and it goes. Oh infinite. yeah. Um, yeah. Now you can't do that. I think it's like only opponents or something. I forgot exactly. They, they changed these five cards. I'm not going to go into it on exactly what the changes are because I don't have that pulled up right now. But those five cards are getting changed. Here's the thing. Those cards are also not being refunded in any way, shape, or form. So, again, if you made these cards specifically for a deck that you were playing in these formats, and then you made... like That's the thing, too. People are like, oh, it's only a couple cards. I'm like, well, what if they made a deck for it? Yeah, especially that, that removal spell. Like that, I'm sure that deck has a ton of cards that don't overlap with the rest of the format. And they're probably all dog shit now. Right, yeah. like they probably have a bunch of cards that are just like not good or not playable because like that's what you were doing, right? Like this was your thing, and I don't know. I just have a I just have a problem with this, unless this is this is something that's going to be a norm, and then we know it's coming, and like you know you're kind of prepare for it. And here's the other thing: I, can we just get rid of these completely? Because like now you can't play historic and paper, e- even if we know well. it's even if we know it's coming, it's a problem, or or even if we well not if we because we're never going to hundred percent know it's coming. Right. So now that we now that we can expect it sometimes to come, that's even worse. Now, now whenever a deck like this comes out, it's like, well, should I waste all my wild cards and craft it so I can play it for two weeks, 
or should I just sit out and have a lower win rate for the next two weeks because I have to play against this broken deck, or should I just stop playing Arena for two weeks and then pick it up again when it's banned? Like, again, like this seems like pretty pretty obvious that this is going to happen. The question is, does it happen at a high enough rate that that Wizards cares? And if they're doing it, I, w- I suspect that the answer is no. Like, enough people just keep playing with other decks but and are mad about it, and they just don't see a significant drop in play, you know, even if it's only a couple percentage points, like, you know, 3% fewer games were played they're over the last two weeks money. or whatever. Yeah, and so, you know, the there's... I, I'm, I'm never going to... I, I never like to attribute, uh, you know, ignorance to things when, the, like, they're the ones making you know, millions of dollars off of it. Like, and clearly like they have, you know, reams of data that we don't have access to. So we're operating at such a huge disadvantage. So I'm always trying to think like, you know, what makes sense? What is likely the set of circumstances that they're seeing that I'm not seeing that is causing this behavior to happen? And, you know, it's got to be that it just doesn't really like, you know, that it's a vocal minority yelling about these things and saying, like, I'm not going to play. And most of the people playing arena, you know, maybe they're just not playing at that high of a level that they care at all. Like they're playing completely different decks or they just move on to a different deck and they're just happy to play and, and lose a little bit more. And so there just isn't like a huge impact for them as much as we see it, you know, on social media. 100% agree. And to take it a step further, I actually wanted to ask you a question about this, because it's very similar to what you were just saying. Have you heard about what's going on in Legacy right now? Um, I heard that Is It Delver is, well, not Delver, but Is It decks are better than everything else by a lot. So uh, I don't have the exact stats on this, and I don't know if it's changed over the last weekend. I've been a little busy, but I know that most of the last challenges, like something like three or four in a row, just have not fired. There's not enough people playing in the format. They are putting their foot down. We actually kind of skimmed over this. This happened in Popper recently where they weren't firing or they were only firing uh, with the minimum amount of people. And multiple people were doing this in protest by registering decks with 61 lands in them and playing against each other. So it was funny. There was actually like 4-0 deck lists from preliminary, uh, you know, from whatever events uh, that were firing that would go 4-0 and the deck was just 61 lands. And stuff until they until they banned a card in Popper, you know, because like people were just like, we have no um, what's the word I'm looking for? We have no faith in this format anymore, and we're not going to put our money where our mouths are, you know, like because here's the thing, it's easier in Arena to kind of look past it and keep going because you just have to click a button and you have stuff queued up, and it doesn't have a cost for you to queue up another thing besides like possibly make another deck. But if you want to play in a tournament magic online, you are paying every time. Right, you're paying an entry fee. Like you have to go get these cards that are worth money. So like, there's that extra step, that extra hurdle that you have for like every form of playing, right? And like, I know they have that arena too, right? You have gems, you have gold, like whatever, blah blah. But for me, it feels like there's this like, you know, it feels like Magic Online is the, it's a little more competitive, right? You know, your average player on there is probably going to be a little bit better. They're a little more serious about the big tournaments they're playing in, and you have bigger tournaments and stuff like that. So. When you see players having this kind of a uh, reaction, like when you can't even fire the events, maybe it's time. Maybe so. Like, and we don't have to go too too into like what needs to be done because there's there's opinions all over the place, and it just I generally find that the opinion is, I think, too directly affected by what deck you play with and what you like to be good in the format instead of the overall what should be happening to make the format good, kind of thing. Because I think you and I've talked about this before. One of the pre- prevailing theories is just ban days. And I don't know if you can do that in that format, but I don't. I think it's a conversation that you can have because it seems to the to this over the last what 
couple years, every single time a really good one drop happens, you just shove it into the Delver deck, right? Or even a good two drop. You know, it's always Dreadhead Arcanist. But I'm thinking of like DRS, Ragavan, you know, uh, uh, Death. I want to say Deathshot, not, not Deathshot, uh, Darcy, you know, Dragon Race Chandler. These cards are too good. But the problem is they can't fix that problem. Right? Like, they're going to print good one drops. They're going to print good two drops because they need to be in modern and they need to be in standard. Like, that is just going to happen. So, people are like, it's the shell that's the problem, right? You know, four ponder, four brainstorm, four force of will, four days. And then some other cards, you know, and four expressive iteration now. But people are like, yeah, if you just take out days, you slow the deck down a ton. You know, you, you it, it really punishes the deck for tapping out on turn one and two more often. But then that leads me to questions of like, how good does reanimator become? How good does, you know, all these combo-ish type decks, you know, come in like, you know, I don't know. I, but I, I'm, but it's, it, it's isn't having those combo decks be good, a, a good thing for the format? That, that, then that's you can, what I'm asking. Yeah, if, I think if, that I think be, that opens space for decks that play more of a draw-go game and are have those mm-hmm. counterspells up to beat the reanimator decks and then, you know, you uh, and then play threats on the end step but have a lot of removal, like Ice Fang Quaddle kind of decks. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it does. It certainly does. The thing is, I think if you... The problem that I have with it and the thing that I'm worried about the most is, like, remember when we banned um, Treasure Cruise in every format and they just attached... They like added the writer, you know, like using a, a a political thing. They just like were like, and we're just gonna ban dig through time, because like obviously that would just be the next step. That's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about what the next step is in Legacy. When you take days out, is do all these decks start to becoming too good, right? Like do like all these other decks, like you know, do, does that become a problem? You know, does does Legacy actually finally become the turn one, turn two format where everyone's trying to one up each other? It's like. I am trying to put Gristle Brain into play on turn one, or I'm going to play on turn one. You're going to try to storm me on turn one. You know, I do have some Force of Wills in my deck. You have Duress or whatever, right? Like, you know, you have Cabal Therapy, Thoughtseize, whatever. Or the Reanimator deck's trying to, you know, reanimate something on turn one. Or Dredge is trying to set up, you know, Explosive turn two or turn three. And, like, that's the format, right? And, like, a deck with Quaddle, Swords of Plowshares, and Counterspell, you know, like, at that point, are you just running eight forces? Like are you running? Maybe, and then you're losing to more mid range decks that are saying, "I don't, I don't care about beating combo." And then you create some sort of metagame churn, which is healthy. So yeah, right. Like that's, tip- that's the question I'm having. Is like, yeah. yeah, what happens from here? You know, like, I, I don't think I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm good enough to answer that question because, like, at that point, it's like, yeah, you know, you're the control deck. Then what happens if someone just cast shardless agent against you? You're like, yeah. oh, I guess I'm dead. Like the, you know, the 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 hope is that. You by getting rid of days, you don't completely eliminate counterplay to linear archetypes. What you do is you just make it a much more costly in order to do so. You you force them to slow down, or you force them to play too many a bunch of uh, pitch counters, and make to, and that makes them worse in other matchups. And so that opens up space for those decks to exist, which might be worse against combo. But you know, and it all kind of you know goes around in a big game of rock paper scissors. So and that's interesting too, because if you do that, the deck has to go back to playing four Delver Secrets because you need the blue cards now. And so like yeah, at that point, do you play you know four Ragavan and four? Uh, Dragon Race Chandler. Maybe that's just the deck because those 12 one drops, a couple other things, and then blue spells. You know, like that's your deck, you know, kind of thing. Like maybe that's fine. Yeah. You that, know? that way it's a lot easier for you to, you know, hold up one mana on turn two uh, and have your, you know, spell pierce up or your fluster storm up or your spell snare up, whatever one mana counter spell you want to be playing. 
because it's it's a weird spot in the format, and you know, and I, I've I've been on one end of it a lot, where you know, you turn one uh, a creature against these control decks, and they put a white source into play, and you see them look at your creature and look at you, and they're like, "Do I swords it now, or do I wait a turn when I can pay for days?" Because like now I'm just playing into their deck, you know, kind of thing. Like so, there's that whole dance. It's like, can I afford to have my swords of Bossier dazed? I don't know. And so some people are like, "Yeah, just you know, ban Ragavan or ban uh, Dragon Race Chandler, ban one of those two cards." I'm like. That is just putting a band-aid on a problem that's just going to keep happening because there's going to be another card like that either in a standard or in Modern Horizons 3 or something like that. We're getting a we're getting a supplemental set this year, right? We're getting another double masters, I think. Sure. Right? Is is it all reprints? I don't remember if it's all reprints in double masters. I can't remember. I think there might be some some new cards. I'm not hundred percent on that. But like you get what I'm saying, like that problem's gonna come up again. Right, you know, they'll print a good green one drop or whatever, and you're like, all right, Tropical Islands back on the menu, boys. You know, <laughs> yep. or or they're gonna print a good, uh, God forbid, they print a good white one drop, and they just start playing the white removal in their deck too. You know, stuff like that. So like, there's all kinds of problems, you know, for that. So, you know, we're in this band culture. We could talk about it a lot. I've actually become more able to stomach the idea of banning days. So am I. But, but one of the biggest reasons that I can stomach a little more is I don't give a shit anymore, Ross. I think the format has become pretty bad and horrid overall right now. I think the format's in an awful state, and the only reason it was relevant was because of Star City Games for a long time. Look, I, I, people who are listening who are Legacy fans, I love the format. Don't get me wrong. It'll always have a special place in my heart. It's one of the most pure forms of magic. I love it. I absolutely love it. That format's awful right now. I loved that format from like 2012 to 2014. Oh, when you could play one drops that that weren't Delver of Secrets, so you could play uh, uh, Mother of Runes, and you could play Nettle Sentinel. I did play Mother of Runes and Nettle Sentinel. Yeah, exactly. and it was so, great. Yeah, exactly. So uh, let's get off my my high horse here, because again, as I said, I'm not the end all be all. I, I'm not perfect when it comes to that. I just have my my personal results and my personal opinion, you know, kind of thing as uh, as my bona fides, you know, going into that conversation. And like I said. I'd be willing to talk to wizards if they wanted to talk about it, and it would take a while. Hi. Sorry, my dog just, like, jumped on me and scared me for a second. Uh, I'd be willing to talk to wizards and stuff about it, but I don't think I'm the person for it, besides from a very specific angle. All right, so that's what's kind of going on with uh, Historic, all the bannings. You know, we've talked a little bit about Legacy, a little bit about Standard. Has it been going on in Modern? Have you been keeping up with that lately? I don't think too much has changed going on, but I did see a conversation kind of gets started on Twitter and this is not what I expected to see, but someone was talking about a very specific card in modern right now, kind of dominating things. And I didn't see this one coming Ross. And I don't know if you did either, but people have been kind of talking about the power level might be a little too high on the card fury. Yeah. And you know, I think it kind of makes sense, honestly. Um, you know, the, what, one of the things that we've seen a lot less of in modern in the last three months four months since Modern Horizons 2 is, you know, ag aggressive decks that are playing to the battlefield. You don't really see humans. You don't see death and taxes. And after Skyclave Apparition, you were starting to see that deck a little bit. Um, you know, the only real aggro deck is um, is Hammer Time, and that's aggro combo. Uh, you know, and then you see mid-range decks. And, I, and Fury is definitely a part of it. You know, if you being if you can get a two for two out of that card against an aggro deck for zero mana, which is you know, very easy by the way, like, yeah, it's very doable. Yeah. Even if you're only killing two one mana creatures, you're netting two mana for zero mana. 
Uh, and that does, goes a long way towards, you know, catching up if you're behind or making sure that you're under no real pressure and giving you time to set up your draws, maybe cast a cantrip or two, uh, you know, do whatever you need to do to get your engine online. And I'm seeing a direct correlation here between the last two conversations that we had, you know, talking about these cards, maybe too good. I'm thinking, you know, Fury, I'm thinking of Days. What do those two cards have in common, Ross? They're free. Yeah. And so, like... Man, if, if only like anybody ever talked about free spells being too good. Right? And then even just casting Fury, right, has been very good, too. But the fact that it has the option of, like, you know, being able to pitch and you get to do your thing. Because, like, I'm thinking about, like, the Elementals deck in general. And, like, when I, you know, people are like, yeah, it's good, right? I'd be like, what? how is it that good? I'd watch it play. I'm like, you're not even doing that much in the first couple of turns. They'd, like, do something, do something, cast, like, a Risen Reef. And I'm like, that's not enough. And your opponent would be like... You know, here's a here's a, a a dragon race channeler. Here's like something else. And you're like, all right, kill both of those. Trigger my you know trigger my uh, my elemental card. I'm just like, oh, oh, I get it now. And your deck has so many copies of it too, because like you can go find it with its harbinger. Like there's a bunch of other things, and it's, that's not the only deck that's doing that either. You know, there's, there's a ton of other stuff going on with that too. So yeah, maybe maybe that card is just like a little bit too powerful but like this this was the worry right when we saw the preview season and we saw the elemental incarnations right you know the one for every color i think the ones that got the least press the two that got the least press have turned out to be the two that are having some of the biggest impacts being endurance which is the green one and fury which is the red one and i'll tell you this if you'd bought into those at the right yeah. time you got rich talk about stonks or whatever the kids yeah, those say. were your specs for this set yeah yeah those, i, I I think the biggest thing for me is cards that are flexible enough that you can main deck them, but are powerful enough in a narrow range of matchups that it suppresses that part of the metagame. You know, a, a, a group of, of decks that fall under a, the one umbrella. Like and noble hierarch decks. Yeah, yeah like, but like we've seen it with yeah. Allruns Epiphany and, and midrange decks in Standard, right? It completely pushed out decks that were built around Blood on the Snow and Storm the Festival. Because, like, you just can't play six mana spells against Alrun's Piffin. You're, you're dead, yeah. Yeah, uh, and, that, and that's my problem with the card. That is the central central piece of my argument, that it completely, you know, invalidates those portions of the metagame, even if, that you, you know, you're being targeted. And I think we're, we might be selling... I, I haven't thought about this, you know. This just happened today, so I haven't had a lot of time to think about it, but... Fury is a, a really big deal for any deck that is playing to the battlefield with creatures. And we really have not seen a lot of those, uh, at least, you know, with a significant b basic creatures. You know, you see mid-range decks that play DRC, Raghavan, and Tarmogoyf or whatever, or DRC, Raghavan, and, and Murktide Regent. And th those are mid-range decks. You know, they have 12, 12 creatures, but they're playing a pile of disruption. And, and I'm, I'm talking decks like Humans, Death and Taxes, um, you know... Even that we saw a little bit of like mono red Eldrazi recently, which I guess is like creatures that are pretty resilient to fury. <laughs> it played uh, fury itself. Yeah, and then yeah, and then played their own furies. But um, you know, low curve creature decks. It's really it's really just been hammer time. And so like yeah, and when you think about it, right? It's fury is this in this weird spot, right? Where like yeah, you can cast it for its mana cost, or it has this this chance to be free, right? And like you said, it's it's either catches you up and you're behind or it just cements you where you are or it's a huge tempo swing, right? It can just turn a game directly on its head. And when you think about cards like that in modern, right? Like all the decks that really punished you for playing to the board would be like Oblivion Stone out of Tron, right? Or like 
Supreme Verdict out of the blue-white decks. And these are decks that are very linear in what they're trying to do. And it would be a ubiquitous, like, multi-sided kill everything. So, like, I can't play a ton of creatures, right? Or I can't put a bunch of stuff onto the board before doing this. Otherwise, I'm going to lose too much value. But, like, you almost always get the two for two, like you said. You get to keep using your mana for that turn. And sometimes you even get other effects out of it, right? Like, God forbid you have an Ephemerate. You have a Risen Reef in play. Any way to, you know, get the kind of value out of that card that, you know, out of Fury, more than just its its trigger. Yeah. And it's getting to the point where maybe we underappreciated these cards just to how powerful they are. Because I'll say this. It went through, like, we went through, like, this whole, you know, like, roller coaster thing. When we first saw people were like, oh, my God. You know, like, I saw some people, this black card, you know, grief is going to get banned. And I was never that. I was like, I don't know about all that. But, like. I'll tell you this, I definitely didn't see the green one and the red one being this good. I mean, I thought the green one was better than people were giving it uh, uh, credit for. Same thing with the red one, but I never saw them being this impactful. You know? Yeah. These cards are really, really good. Yeah, no, it, it, I know. I, you know, I saw Endurance being as, like, a good sideboard card. As it turned out, like, it's, uh, like, DRC is popular enough that you, like, having some graveyard hate in the main is good, and Endurance is a good piece of main deck graveyard hate because it's still a 3-4 for 3. So it's gra- it's the graveyard hate with the highest floor. Um, and that makes it much more main deckable. And then I knew Fury would be good against, you know, creature decks, but it turns out there's just enough creatures around that it's still good. And it's even, a th- again, high floor, even if you're playing against control, you can cast it and it's a threat they're going to have to deal with. You know, it attacks for fucking six damage. It's not a particularly good threat. It costs five mana, which is a ton. But, you know, it's that's better than just drawing a dead removal spell. It's better, you know, so... The, those kinds of things are, are really beneficial, and I think we overrated them as standalone cards, and that's why we saw them not see a ton of play early, and they started seeing more and more play as we figured out how to compensate for the card disadvantage, whether it's by playing uh, Risen Reef or the right kind of Ephemerate shells, not just uh, Orzov, because it just th- that didn't work for color reasons, um, and, and things like that. So it just took a little while for us to find the right home for them. Um, but it, you know, it turns out free spells are really powerful. And, uh, you know, the lesson that I want people to take away from this, and it, and it follows the same lesson of, of what I've been harping on about all runs epiphany and standard is that I think we have to reframe how we think about banning cards because we're in a, we're at a time where like it used to be that banning was like an absolute last resort. It did not happen very often. It happened like twice in like 12 years or something. Yeah. Like that. Like like from from uh, up until Kaladesh, I, and basically yeah, between Mirrodin and Kaladesh, the only standard bands were Callblade, were, were Stoneforge Mystic and, and Af- Jace. After after Mirrodin, yeah, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. Between the end of of Mirrodin blocks lifetime in standard, so what from between the the Affinity ban and the, you know the Kaladesh bands, uh, lo and behold, those are two artifacts. That's um, and, and Scars of Mirrodin is what broke the other two cards, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, sort of feast of him. I guess it was mirror besieged, but uh, that that one's not so, so much about the artifactiness of the set. But it was just funny that all the bands happened during artifact sets. But the you know they they just didn't happen that often. And I think if if decks like blue white delver or jund or fairies happened today, there would be a ban. Like the, those decks wouldn't have survived their right. entire their entire lifetime in, in standard. They were just too good, too powerful. Uh, they would have gotten a ban. Uh, but the philosophy has clearly changed. And I think, I think social media has a lot to do with it. But go ahead. What does? I think social media has a lot to do with social it. Social media, like, arena, just more games getting played. Yeah. 
Like, so we've reached the point where people get tired of things faster. Um, yes. So, yeah, all, all of those play play a role. The point is that Watsi's philosophy for banning cards has changed. They're more aggressive with it than they used to be. And w- whether you like that or not, it's just reality. So let's face reality. I think what has to change along with it is our understanding of what should be banned and what merits a ban. Because before it was mainly just based on how uh, how popular decks are and also uh, a tournament attendance, really. <laughs> That's what really drove bans. But, you know, to, to figure out what was going to get banned, it was, you know, how popular decks are and how, how popular cards are and win rates and things like that. It was, it was very data-driven. I think we have to come – well, I think we have to be a little bit more subjective and find these cards that are oppressing whole parts of the metagame. And I think Allruns Epiphany is doing that standard. And I, I'm intrigued by the argument about Fury because I do th- I do think Fury is an incredibly powerful card against a significant portion of the modern metagame. And it's not only a portion that I enjoy playing, so maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I think it's a portion that is very good for modern. I remember when humans got big, I remember telling everybody that I think a modern format where humans is one of the best decks is a it's healthy a great format. format. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great like, format. Yeah. You know, you can attack humans in a lot of different ways. And you can, you know, try to beat them on the battlefield. You can try to take advantage of their, you know, lack of hard removal. You can try to beat them with sweepers. You can try to beat them with cheap spot removal or any combination thereof. And, you know, they're going to have some wiggle room as well. But but it's not clear how you beat them. And there's a lot of ways that you can do good things against them. And that tends to lead to interesting formats. And, the, you know, humans and those kind of style of aggressive decks with a good amount of disruption, um, you know, I think they lead to good metagames. And if Fury is the card that is really suppressing them, I'm, I'm not sure if that's really the case, because I, I think a large part of it is also mid-range decks are a lot more mana efficient than they used to be. You just have a lot more good one-mana spells, and so it's hard to get underneath them with your Reflector Mages and your Aether Vials than it used to be. Your Aether Vials also don't live against the control decks nearly as often as they used to. You know, Violet was great against them for navigating sweepers and invalidating their counter spells, and now they just all have four Prismatic Ending. And that's a problem, and, and Vile is a big part of these these aggressive decks in Modern. So there's other issues that they're facing, um, but I'm amenable to the idea that Fury is a bigger has a has had a bigger bigger impact on the current Modern metagame than any of us may realize. Yep, I can I can definitely definitely agree. Like I don't know, just with some impunity, can we can we chill on the cards that cheat on the basic basic principle of Magic, which is mana? Like you said earlier, it's literally the basic principle of magic. So, uh, you know, we, we've seen the formula, like how many cards have gotten banned in the last, you know, five to eight years that do exactly that, you know, Phyrexian mana, uh, Delve, you know, this kind of stuff. So and I think when, something... uh, remember when the Tybalt's trickery stuff was happening earlier this year in Modern, I advocated for banning the Cascade spells. Yep. And then instead they, they printed a third one. <laughs> they, they printed they an changed... even better one. They changed the rules, too, because, you know, we did have that problem with uh, Tybalt for a little while. Yeah. You know, being able to cheat the mana and stuff of like that, too. So, we'll see. But, it, um, you know, the, those decks are now, you know, among the better decks in the format, whether it's mm-hmm. Living End or, or Teamer Footfalls. Yeah. Uh, sp- speaking of tournaments, uh, there is one this weekend. Hopefully, we get the show out soon enough for people to hear this. But I think if you were going to play in it, you're probably going to hear about it anyway, just, but just so people uh, know about it. There is a Arena Open on Arena this weekend. Uh, it's standard. That would be the October sixteenth uh, and seventeenth, and it's the typical arena open where you can get up to two thousand dollars. You know, if you go undefeated or not undefeated, but if you get what is it seven wins on day two, you know, your typical day one where you have to get 
Uh, I think seven wins and four wins, depending if you're playing best of one or best of three. Uh, yeah, and then on day two, um, if you get... Yeah, uh, it's here. But that's, that's, that's day one. And yeah, and day two goes to best of three. If you get six wins, you get $1,000. you get seven wins, you get $2,000. Otherwise, you're getting a bunch of gems for your prizes. So uh, make sure you're over 18. Uh, we've seen a lot of people with problems with that on Twitter lately, you know, winning events on Magical Online Arena and not getting paid or not getting their prize. But uh, they they are not budging on this for now. If you are not 18, you cannot get these prizes. So uh, other than that, uh, there was a, some really cool questions in our mailbag that I wanted to talk about uh, from this weekend. And I really liked these. And remember, this is, a, this is, a, this is another perk on uh, our Discord if that you're a Patreon, so if you're supporting our uh, podcast monetarily in some way, which, by the way, we really appreciate each and every one of you that does it, make sure you check out our Patreon and our levels and stuff that, uh, going on there. We do have some stuff that we give out on there, and we've got more of that coming in the future. Uh, it's been a little slower than we've liked to have been with COVID and everything that's going on, but we are uh, committed to, to doing some more stuff there. But remember, that is something you get to do, and we've got two of uh, questions. And... The uh, first one is from Brent Wagner, and this is from somebody that, that messaged him on Twitter, but he, he liked this question enough. I think it's a really cool one. Ross, this is for both of us, but I'm asking you. Ross, what is the weirdest thing in MTG? I'm not sure how to interpret that. I think this is open to your own interpretation. Do you um, want me to answer one quick one real quick while you think? Yeah. So one thing that got weird to me, and this is just a thing that like it just surprised me with how it was and how weird it was, is... Um, over the last few years, let's say a few years, I'm old, so we're talking maybe like five or six, especially when I started playing competitively again on like the SCG Tour and stuff, was how people acted after matches. Uh, especially when like they wanted to ask, like, hey, what did you sideboard? And they wanted to have this like really long conversation about it. Um, or they wanted to you know talk to you about, like, this is, this is a joke that I have with a lot of my other f- fellow Delver players, and you'll get this if you've ever been a player that plays a deck that's been prevalent like that for that amount of time, where... Um, after you beat someone in a match, they almost always are like, man, I, I, you know, I have a good match versus this deck. I don't, I don't know what happened. And you've literally heard me have to have this conversation probably dozens of times, Ross, where it like yeah. opens or whatever. I would beat someone and they'd be like, yeah, man, I usually do pretty well against Delver. I have a really good matchup because I think I'm favored the matchup at home. And I, I always just have a smile on my face. I'm like, yeah, like, you know, hey, I drew really well. You didn't draw that well, blah, blah, blah. And like, it's not like I'm, you know, being f- fake with him or anything, but in my head, I'm just like, you, your matchup's not as good as you think it is. Yeah. I went and through I this with, with Elves yeah. when I played that in Legacy because yeah. nobody respected the deck for a long time. And even well, among the, so. Yeah. <laughs> even among, Sorry. you know, other good players on the tour, like, I would beat them and they're just like, man, like, that felt way worse than every other time I played the matchup. And I was like, you, do you think there might be a reason for that? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And so, like, yeah, every, everybody plays different. I mean, like, you know, you have your, your own stats, right? You're like, yeah, I, you know, I beat this deck every time I play it or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, are you playing against somebody who's better than the people you're playing with, right? Yeah. Are you playing against somebody who sideboards differently or understands the matchup better, right? That, like, you know, they don't ever... Like, one of the first instances of this, I remember um, I was playing in an open, and this is back when my favorite deck of all time was legal. I was playing, like, the blue-white flash deck in standard, you know, Restoration Angel and, like, that that kind of stuff. And there's this deck that Kibler made at the time. That's how long ago this was. Kibler was, like, still way into magic and stuff, right? And he made this deck, like, I think it was Predator Ooze. It was, like, almost like a mono-green deck or a mono-green yeah. deck. Like, Predator Ooze, it was, like, really good against this deck, and people were using it to beat them. And uh, I had a friend that was in the Open. This was an Open that was in Vegas. This was before I ever lived there. There was a new, almost nobody there. I remember we were both 4-0, 
and uh the, you know the i say the guy's a friend of mine we were like we saw each other at tournaments we were chummy right and he's like yeah i hope i get you next round i was like really you know i was like you know like you know that's a a thing to say and he's like yeah like my matchup's so good against that deck or whatever blah 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 and we end up playing the next round and i worked him like i beat the crap out of him right and i did a play that he had like because like they have an indestructible creature right and their deck and i was supposed to be really good against my deck because you know my deck had like pillar of flame and searing spear and stuff you know things that like dealt damage to kill something and so he like attacked me with this with this creature and i was like all right exorius charm it to the top of your library and he's like okay and then i was like thought scour target you or whatever and he did that and then like he paused and he looked at me and he goes that's the first time that's ever happened to me and i'm just like and you said you were winning this matchup a lot right i wonder if those two things are related yeah. you know like and, and that's know, that- that's the takeaway here the takeaway isn't that tan and i are gods that you should worship as such though you can take that away the, if you want to i could be your deity yeah the the takeaway is that like if if you're getting a result that is unexpected you know think about what changed <laughs> yeah Think right. about the variable involved. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Try to isolate the variable, right? Uh, and that'll that'll usually point you in the right direction. And a, a lot of people, you know, that that yeah, they, they have a lot of confusion when that happens. They're just like, oh, I thought I was like, uh, I was good in this matchup, and like, yeah, I can understand you're confused. Like, you're getting a result that was unexpected. Confusion is the the typical reaction. But if you want to, you know, solve that confusion, look for what what changed. What did they do differently? In, in the matchup, whether it's having a different cyber card, sideboarding in a different way, like were there cards you didn't see in the postboard games that you expected to see? Maybe they boarded them out and like, you know, you were overprepared for them or uh, something like that. Or, you know, maybe they played the matchup differently. Maybe they, you know, slow played certain threats that they knew were important and ended up having protection for them or, or you know, whatever it might be. So that that's where you got, you know, if you're looking at trying to get better, you know, obviously analyzing your games is, is an important part of that, but you should also, you know, have a methodology to analyze them. And when, you know, things are happening that you're, you're you know, that you didn't expect, you know, you got to look for what is different than what was happening in, when, in your testing or in your previous matches. Yeah, and uh, l- let me clarify this before we move on real quick, too. This is not me saying that I don't like this or that it's bad. In fact, the more information that you get from different people, the better, generally. Generally. Like, there's some situations where it's actually worse. But in general, it's good, right? You're going to learn from this, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. The whatever. only time it's bad is when they're annoying and whining about how they had such a yeah. good matchup and just think they got yeah. unlucky. There's there's that. <laughs> the, and the, like The, the number of people I've played against that like talk about how unlucky they got, and I could literally just point to four times where they could have made a different play that would have won the yeah. game, is very high. <laughs> yeah. And like... It's not like I have a problem with this. I really don't. So I don't think you have to be on, like, if you play against me, you have to be on pins and needles. But it's like, feel free to talk to me afterwards. I'm, I'm usually very, like, if you've ever played me, you know, I'm usually very open and very nice with everybody. I, um, I try to be. There are times when I, like, I have something to do. I need to go to the bathroom. I need to get something to eat. Exactly. You know? Sometimes I just want to leave. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, so, like, leave so me alone. If I tell you I don't have the time, believe me <laughs> yeah. and, and don't press me. But, you know, you, you know, feel free to ask. <laughs> exactly. Do you, do you have an answer yet? Uh, yeah, my answer is the proliferation of playmats. Oh, I, I, okay. I, I sort yeah. of understand why. And for, for the people who haven't been around so long, like in the in the mid two thousands, when I was you know started playing a lot of PTQs, like nobody nobody had a playmat. You know, nobody nobody brought a playmat to events. And if you did, you were the weird one. Yeah, you were like the one person. Yeah, yeah, and it, it was nobody espe- had that. Story. It was especially annoying because we were packed into the basement of fucking comic book stores playing these PTQs, and everybody had about two feet of space. And if somebody slammed a fucking playmat onto the table and tried to take three feet of space for themselves, yeah, then you were an asshole. If, if people did that to me, I just put my stuff on their playmat. 
Like, yeah. this is my space. I, like, I don't care that your playmat's here. I have That's... moved multiple people's playmats. Like, yeah. without saying a word, literally just moved it. Yeah, I've either moved them or, like, folded half of it under, you know, just, like, you know, establishing that this is my space. And so, yeah, I, and it, it didn't, it happened gradually, right? Like, I, I don't remember there being, you know, one year where there were no playmats and a year where they're all. So it sort of happened gradually over time. And, and it got to the point where, like, you know, everybody had a playmat. And, you know, obviously, like, it, it, a lot of it had to do with the fact that they started giving out playmats at Grand Prix and stuff. And so That's when the big, everybody literally did yeah. have one. And then there was the the whole idea of sponsor, you know, getting a playmat from the sponsor, right? Where if you were a sponsored player, like, you know, we have the VCW ones and, and that kind of stuff happening. So that's when it really, you know, that's when everybody did it. But it, it to me, that that's sort of, you know, it, it just, it's sort of two different eras of competitive magic to me. The, the, like there's the there's that. the, the yeah. pre-playmat era and the playmat era and it's yeah. very weird thinking about how, how that happened and you know if if people who stopped playing in the 2000s looked at it now that they would also be off but by the amount of playmats that you see one other quick thing for me that was super weird but now i just get and completely accept as normal and i am actually the weird one was the shift of uh like casual versus competitive how back in the day it was like you know, competitive was seen as like the perennial way to play magic, like standard, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And now it's just like ca- the casual format is the most popular way to play magic, period. Because yeah. back when there was no specific casual format before Commander became as big as it was, there was nothing to kind of unite all of the casual players around the world together without yeah. you actually being at a kitchen table with them physically. If you get what I'm trying to say there. Yeah. So that, so everybody was isolated. So they they were probably bigger than they thought they were. But oh, once, they definitely were. Yeah, yeah. Once once you had this thing to bring them all together, and then they start, you know, looking at online content, be like, oh, I want to see like this new commander deck or this new new one, and, and yeah, it really, you know, it, it gets them united and shows how much of a force they are in the community and how important they are for the community. Like when I think of my local LGS, right? I don't know why I say local LGS. When I think of my LGS, you know, from certain time periods, it was like you had the the competitive players and they outnumbered the casual players. Now it's flipped in an even bigger disparity like i'm the weird one now because i only pretty much want to play competitive and just everyone has commander decks now you know where i'm at you know it might not be exactly that way at your local game store but whatever that's how it is you ready to move on to the next question yeah let's do it all right this one's from uh, chef petro by the way congratulations chef petro he's got himself a house congrats dude nice. and uh he finally put up some new uh, photos in the food section so he's been real busy lately believe me i understand going through all that stuff but his question is put on your party hat and your mask, going to Vegas next month. Uh, what's my testing gauntlet look like for Modern? Full disclosure, I'm currently on Jun Saga or Team of Rhinos. Also, tell listeners when you should lock in your deck. Personally, never been able to get it out uh, get out of the night before habit. Um, I think... Uh, so here, here's the thing. I like Jun Saga a lot. I like Team of Rhinos a lot. I think they're both great decks. Whichever one you think you're going to play better, obviously like do that thing. Here's the other thing that I want to say here. I know there's prizes. I know this is quote unquote a Grand Prix. What are you going to have fun playing? What are you going to have the best time in Vegas doing? Because here's the thing. If you're going to Vegas solely for the competitive tournament, that is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But you are missing out on the biggest part of that weekend, which is the fact that this is the first magic event in forever. And have some fucking fun, man. You're in Vegas. You're with your buddies, right? Still be safe, you know, wear your mask, you know, do, do the right thing, but go have a really, really good meal with your friends somewhere, right? You know, something you haven't been able to do in a long time. 
play some Magic, bring yourself a Commander deck. There's going to be a billion casual people there. And I say casual people, people wanting to play Commander and stuff like that. Uh, don't take the negative connotation that comes along casual. I do not mean it that way. Um, as for the night before thing, I'm pretty bad about it myself. I would set a limit for yourself or just bring both decks and try to figure it out the night before or whatever, but just set a limit for yourself that you're going to decide before you go. And then you're not going to think about it again until the morning of the tournament. Like you're not going to worry about it again, you know, cause I'm assuming, you know, some people might fly in like the night before their tournament or whatever, but I'm assuming you're going for, you know, at least an extra day in there somewhere. Make sure you enjoy the time and don't just worry about your deck the whole time. Yeah, no, I think that's smart. Tinkering generally doesn't, you know, end very well. It tends to be an overreaction to late breaking information. Um, so yeah, just, uh, you know, I, I would, I would give yourself, you know, leading up to the event, a couple options. And if you think they're, they're all pretty close, um, you know, I would take metagame considerations and, you know, your own enjoyment of the decks, your own mastery of the decks as tiebreakers. Uh, and enjoyment really is a tiebreaker. Like the, you know, the more invested you are in the tournament, the more invested you are in your deck, the better you'll play. Absolutely. Like, you can see that with some of my deck choices over the time. You know, like, I always played Delver because I enjoyed it, right? But I've played other decks, too, to have fun. And, like, the same thing happens sometimes the other way around. And Modern is, like, you know, Tron is not the most fun deck to play, right? And I got a lot of shit for playing it. But you know what I do like? I like winning, right? And that was fun for me for a little while, too. So doing that. The other thing I wanted to say about Vegas is there's a very good chance I will be there. I have not booked my flight yet, but tentatively I have a room to stay in. And, you know, flights, I could literally do it, like, the day before if I had to. The event falls on my birthday. It's, like, one of the, I'm, uh, I think it's, like, the 19th through the 21st or something like that. I'm a November 20th birthday. So there's a decent shot that I will be there. For anyone listening, if you're in Vegas, make sure you come up, say hi. Uh, you know, let me know that you're a fan of the, the show, you're a fan of Flesh and Blood, like, whatever it is. Um, if I'm there, I should have signed tokens of, of our show to give out and I'm going to talk to our editor and see if he has any of the play mats left over. I might have a play mat or two and maybe do something kind of fun with it to give it away. Um, I would love if there was an event where like, like if Ross was going, I would 100% go and we could have like a whole MTG rants meetup kind of thing, but we'll definitely do that as soon as it's possible. Cause we would have definitely have done this by now if we, if we could have safely done this at an event, but I feel safe enough to do this at these events. So I, I'm down I'm leaning towards going as of right now, but I am traveling a lot over the next couple weeks and I might just want to like chill, but there is a decent gap between my last event and, and this one. So I might just be like, whatever, let's just go kind of thing. Have you thought about going Ross? Um, not really. It's just so far. It's just so far. It's just as far for me as it is for you. Is it? How long's your flight to Vegas? Uh, like four and a half hours. Okay. If I flew direct. <laughs> Mine's like three and a half to mine's like four going and like three and a half back. Yeah. So they, I mean that's general. That's about the same. Um, yeah, so yeah, get a good I book or something, you know. Oh, I've got plenty of those, Tanner. Yeah, yeah. Get a good <laughs> movie on, you know, or whatever, ready to go. But uh, yeah, just make sure you have a little fun. But uh, chef, if I am there and you are there, let's make sure we get a meal one night because I got some decent recommendations for for places there. Just let me know your. Uh, let me know your budget. We might have a little fun, but one or two of the places I want to go, we need to know ahead of time. Like we got we got to call like a week in advance at least or whatever probably. So, uh, did, did I tell the story on here about my my dinner in Vegas? Yeah, at, at, uh, at the seafood restaurant. 
uh, at Amalfi. Yeah, like yeah, one of the best West ones. And I got yelled at by uh, Gordon Ramsay. It was oh, kind of yeah. crazy. Still got that picture. It's pretty sweet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you want to do a couple overrated underrated before we get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let me scroll up and find where we're at. Sorry about this. All right, the first one is from KFET, double queuing. Um, overrated. It's Definitely just overrated. annoying to play against people who are double queuing. It 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 also hurts your. I, I guarantee you, it it hurts you too. I I I think if you're testing for a tournament, it hurts you because you're not as focused on what's going yeah. on. I think if you're literally just trying to like grind matches on of Moto to like get QPs or or whatever, it's probably beneficial to you. Um, but like, why why are you doing that? <laughs> All right, Flackle says British queuing. Um, probably properly rated. Everybody knows that the Brits are very good at queuing. It's like built into the culture, like. They fucking queue. They they respect the order of the queue. They do it order. They're in an orderly queue every time. It's really kind of weird to see. Yeah, really. Yeah. You're, why do you but think it, it's weird? Well, because it, it you, I'm just not used to seeing that level of spontaneous organization from disparate parties. Like it's not like they're talking to each other, and being like, "Oh yeah, you're up, then I'm next." Like they all just fucking like they just they just do it. It's just something that it's just like a habit that you learn if you're yeah. British. So I, I googled this. I'm, I'm proud to say that I googled this to make sure it wasn't because I was just like, is this something I just don't know about? You know, <laughs> like this means something I don't know. And literally, like the second or third thing that pops up on Google is, why are the British so good at waiting in line? So it's like, oh, it's just that. Okay, cool. Uh, Chase says barbecuing, uh, definitely underrated. Love barbecuing, especially now as like an excuse to get together outdoors and have some fun. Yeah, as long as there's can jam, underrated. Sure. Oh yeah, it's got to be a game. Got to be a game. Joe, Mister English says cue balls. I don't. I properly rated. I don't know how you can underrate that, but yeah, pro- that proper one. properly rated, I guess. Yeah. Fuzzy Dan says cue from Star Trek. I know basically nothing about Star Trek. Is Q the science officer? No, that's Spock is the science officer. Q is the. Hold on, hold on. Um, I'm looking it up. Um. All right. Oh, this guy was this guy was in West Wing. All right, uh, let's see here. I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's not telling me exactly. Let's see here. Go ahead. Oh, regardless, I have no opinion. I don't know what. Like, we don't have to look this up. I have no idea. St- Star Wars rules. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know enough about Star Trek, so I'm gonna say probably properly rated. I, I I've tried many times to do you know get into one of Star Trek shows. I I can't do it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something wrong with me. I love when our, our, our people do this. This is great. Cathal says Q from James Bond. Um, Definitely underrated because the, the, the tools and stuff, the little gadgets he makes are dope as shit. Yeah, it's probably the best part of James Bond movies. So underrated. Yeah, which they like underdid in the last couple movies and then brought it in. Uh, Admiral Upson says Q, the letter. Um, um, Probably underrated in Scrabble. Underrated Scrabble, I'm going to say overrated because I always forget how to do it in sign language because I never spell, like, a word with that. You know what I mean? Because, like, there's a, I know the sign for, like, queen and, like, what other word am I going to say with a Q in it? Like, I'm not going to say, you know, I don't know. Anyway, uh, that's sidebar. Uh, Brent, our lovely editor, says Avenue Q, the musical. Uh, underrated? Who doesn't like dirty puppets? Uh, so that sounds great and everything. I'm not a big fan of musicals, so I'm going to go slightly overrated. But that's a personal thing. I'm literally uh, going to a musical in an hour, Tannen. I know it's it's funny this game because I heard you t- talking about that. Chase says Q tips uh, definitely underrated. That's a that, that's probably the hygiene that I'm the worst about is making sure my ears are clean. Yeah, 
they're useful for lots of other things too. So underrated. But I also I also hate them. By the way, I think it's it, it, I can't make I don't like doing it because I feel like I'm about to stab myself in the brain. Yeah. Uh, Flackle says curly Q fries. I mean, obviously underrated. Very like, underrated. Curly fries are incredible. They're like the second best form of fry. I think they're the best. I just like thin cut fries. Just thin cut shoestring. Yeah, just yeah, just as long as they're crispy, like crispy thin cut fries, you can do whatever you want, cover whatever you want, season whatever you want. That's my favorite, and then curlies are probably next because they also stay small. I would go curly fries into waffle fries. Yeah, this is funny because the next one says Joe Mister English says steak fries overrated. Oh god, overrated. So overrated. It's you're eating a potato, like you're just eating a chunk of potato. Like yeah, like you're not eating the actual. Because like the thing about fries is you're taking a, a sliver of potato and you're like you know, cooking it a certain way to make the the outside of it like crispy and stuff. And the bigger you make it, the more you're taking away from like why you're frying it. Yeah. Like you're not getting that texture and that taste anymore. All you're tasting is the giant chunk of fucking potato yeah. that's inside of it. You need the balance between that soft, fluffy interior yeah. and the crisp, crunchy exterior. They and if you have to be... too much of the inside, it's it's not going to, it's not, it's, you're out of balance. You need to be like heavily seasoned or something for me to even eat them. Yeah. Uh, SS Squirrel says fried okra, definitely massively underrated. Yeah, definitely underrated. Once you fry it, it's not. It doesn't have that sliminess that it often has. Um, uh, Natalie, I mean Natalie, Benny does not agree. I don't know if y'all can yeah. hear her. So I'll give a big thumbs up to fried okra. Uh, yeah, one of Natalie's favorite uh, favorite things. Leo the Magic Man says social cues. Uh, uh, this is gonna be a little obvious. You know, Oh, sorry, she's barking a lot. I, I want to make sure I don't offend anyone here who doesn't handle social cue, so, social cues well, but uh, definitely underrated. And I feel like we as people have gotten away from them quite a bit lately. Eh, maybe we should get away from them. I don't. It's hard for me to like. I'm not sure what overrated or underrated means. Like what? Sure. What for, metric for are you rating them on? From my perspective, uh, and I don't mean like obviously there's some that are bad, right? That we can get rid of, but the ones that like have to do with politeness, right? And like. Just general, like, making your... Jeez, she is mad at something. I think I think somebody was, like, right outside. There's another dog barking, if, if y'all can hear her. But there's a lot of situations that come up where we should be adhering to social cues a little bit better in our situation. So I'm going to go with both overrated and underrated here. Yeah, it just sort of depends on how what you mean by overrated or underrated. Obviously, like, they're important for functioning. We, we can't just, like... Th- that's more where yeah, I'm going. Yeah. But we shouldn't be, you know... You know quick to judge people for not picking up on them because you you actually know that this is a big pet peeve of mine when something like that happens um you've seen it on me too because like i don't i'm not very i try not to be vocal about it but i know you see me like i'll you i know you see me where like something happens and i'll just stop what i'm doing stop on my tracks i'll either look at the person or i'll just look straight ahead of me and you could see me mentally like seething and then i stop and i'm over it you can see me like gather myself because like I just, I can't fathom how a person can do, and like, I get it, I mess up, I'm not perfect, but most of the time I try to be, it's it's more about me just being, trying to be aware of what's going around me, like spatially aware of like the people and what's going on around me, and too many people just like, either can't do that or only care about themselves, so that's the, that's where the problem of it, of me comes, and that's like, obviously not everything in it. So uh, Captain Frost says the credit card game. For everybody at home that doesn't know what the credit card game is, this is really, really big a few years ago. Uh, let's say Team BCW goes out for dinner one night, right? So it's me, Ross, Brennan, Jim, whoever, right? And uh, we all get to dinner. Like, you know, let's say there's like six of us. We all order our meals. We ask for one check. And you can do this a couple of different ways. Um, one of the ways to do this is uh, you get a credit card from everybody. 
somebody takes their credit card, shuffles them up, puts them behind their back, and someone says a number. And you take that credit card out. Like, they would say, like, three. And so you go the third one from the top, right? And you do that until there's one credit card left, and they win the credit card game. What's their prize? They get to pay the tab. That or one of the other fun ones is you get the server involved, and you ask for them to tell you a number. My favorite way to do this, to, and this creates a lot of, of fun stuff, is you get the server involved. What we do is we'd whittle it down to two cards, and I have one of them in each hand. And I get the server, and I go right or left hand. And they'd say right, you know, they'd say right or left, and I'd say pay or doesn't pay. And the the most fun part about it is the people at the table, you know, you don't know which card is in which hand, but you know the two people that are left because you know you've given the card back to other people and they pay the bill. So, real fun thing to do. Um, it can get expensive fast. I remember my first trip to Vegas ever. I lost the credit card game the first two days we were there for dinner, and the first night was six people at Koi, and the second night was fourteen people at Lotus. So I was down like $1,400 in the first two days on credit card games. So uh, <laughs> it, it's it's high variance, but I do think it's underrated now. I thought it was overrated at a certain part, but I think it's underrated now because it is a fun thing to do. Just make sure that everybody that's involved can actually you know, afford it if they were to lose or win, however you want to put it. Yeah. Uh, so it, for those who aren't familiar with it, the credit card game effectively came into being during that brief period when... You know, you know, everyone had credit cards, but restaurants like POS systems didn't split checks split, well. Split checks, yeah. Yeah, and so it just became annoying to go out to dinner and, uh, you know, have to sp- and have to figure out what to do. Like people didn't also, have PayPal cash. PayPal wasn't huge. Venmo wasn't huge. Yeah, so it was yeah. like harder to yeah. And this just became the the very convenient way of you know splitting up the bill. Um, that you know left it at a center like as long as everybody orders about the same amount of stuff right the same value and stuff um you know your your ev is is all about the same and then there you know the degeneracy of gambling over it is sometimes fun so i would say it's a little bit overrated now though we actually have a fun system when we do when we go to bar trivia and we win you get that like you know, you get like 25 bucks right and instead of walking up and having them split it you know three or four ways we just game to see who gets it so you just get a full twenty five dollars off if you win it. It's it's so that that game is fun because you also don't feel bad if you lose um, because you know it's just free money anyway. So uh, I would say slightly overrated, but because it, it, the reason it came into being and became popular doesn't really exist anymore, um, but still fun in small doses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, it's definitely fun in small doses. I don't. I was for a long time not partaking. And I think I might be back into partaking or whatever. Like, you know, it was, it was more, it was like when we were traveling a lot for these things, it was more like I had just bought a house and a bunch of other stuff was going on. And I was like, man, I just like, you know, can't be irresponsible kind of thing. But like, it's still fun. It's novel to do. And that's the, that's the part about it. Just use it for fun. Don't overdo it. And if you see people getting upset about it, just don't play with them. Just don't let him play. Cause anything that involves money like that can lead to some bad start. Stuff, and you, right? and you can play the next level credit card game. Where yeah, next, anybody who doesn't want to participate pays their portion of the check, and then everyone else credit card games per usual, but the last person still pays the entire bill, and whoever was second to last, whoever had the longest sweat, gets all the money from the buyouts. There you yeah. go. <laughs> that one's that one's the real sweat because you yeah. want to be involved, but like you don't want to. Lo- yeah, it's crazy. All right. Um, Variance twenty eight says actually listening to someone explain something massively underrated uh yeah definitely underrated gotta love learning 
Yeah. Kyle at MTG MTG Sick Breaks says Magic the Gathering. I mm, I'm struggling with this one, so I'm just gonna go properly yeah, rated. Pro- I can go either way. I think it's properly rated. I think people understand where the a lot of where the issues are, um, and, and we understand where the strengths are. So mm-hmm. properly rated. Uh, Cathal says fan service. I'm gonna answer this one with. Um, the right amount of it to a tiny bit too much is underrated. As soon as you cross a certain threshold, though, very overrated. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, Flackle says HVAC. Uh, oh, well, in a certain sense, underrated. It's necessary at certain times, but I do think people overuse air conditioning. Yeah, I mean, like, here's the thing. Here's the way that, that I like to say it. You've heard me make this joke before. Um, people are always talking about going outside. I'm like, outside? We spent thousands of years perfecting inside. Why the fuck would I want to go outside? So, like, yeah, obviously I love it or whatever. Um, Joe says servicing fans for, like, your AC units or ceilings. I, that's not something I've ever really come into contact with. Sounds so. complicated, overrated. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think we're going to go ahead and call it, I think, for uh, overrated and underrated right there. I got some stuff I need to do. Plus, my dog is going nuts. I need to go take care of her. Um, but yeah, make sure that you check out our sponsor. That's Barrister and Man at barristerandman.com. Um, everything you could ever need for your soap, shaving, and a bunch of other needs could all be found at that website. I'm a really big fan of the shaving stuff that goes along there. Uh, the shaving brush, the shaving butter, all that stuff has given me the best shaves I've ever had of my life. My skin will has loved me for it. Yours will too. Not to mention it's made my razors last an ungodly long amount of time because it's just so much smoother and so much easier. It's like having, uh, if you've ever gone and gotten a professional shave somewhere, it's like having one of those in your home that you can just do whenever you need to. Speaking of that, I need to go shave myself to make sure that I look okay for the damn, uh, for the uh, the calling this weekend. So lots of other cool things to find there. Uh, great scents uh, as long as, as well for the soaps and the shaving butters and stuff like that as well. Uh, the holidays are coming up. These make great gifts for that person in your life that might need to smell a little better or, you know, that shaves every day, that kind of stuff. Lots Tannin, of really cool. As soon yes. as we finish this, the show, I'm going to trim up my beard a lot. You can see it's gotten pretty long mm-hmm. and that means I'm going to shave the neck down a bit, which means I'm going to mm-hmm. get to use the petrichor aftershave for the first time. Actually jealous. I'm so excited. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait. And you'll be excited, too, if you try out some of stuff. That's barristerandman.com, man with two N's. Make sure you use the code MTGRANTS at checkout for 15% off. Ross, if people wanted to hear some more stuff about the jazz, some more stuff about magic, or they want to hear your uh, your reaction to the Petrichor, where would they go? Best place is my Twitter. I'm at Ross Hunnids. I've been thinking about changing that, though. Like, that meme is so old. You know, it's like eight or nine years think, old now. I, th- I think. Well, the thing is, is like it was old to begin with. Then we brought it back for that one event. Where I got a bunch of pictures of you of hundred dollar bills, yeah. but you, you definitely should change it. Yeah, but so that might be changing soon. I just got to figure out what I want to change it to. Just but, search Ross Merriam on. Twitter uh, right. Oh, somebody already has that. All right, there's a Ross yeah, Merriam in Canada. I've got him dominated on Google searches though. They'll they'll find you. Yeah, <laughs> that's like if there was ever another Tanning Grace. I'm like, dude, you're gonna have a hard day. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm at Ross Hunnids for now. Uh, that's the best place to just keep abreast of all my magic comings and goings. Also a good place to ask me questions. If you want to, I try to get back to people as often as possible. Uh, then there is my written content for star city games. 
Uh, I actually took this week off from writing, just didn't really, just had some writer's block, wanted to take it off. So no article for me this week, but next week will be back in my regular time. Those uh, articles get posted on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, then there is Versus Live, the web show I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister. We're on the Star City Games YouTube or Twitch channel, sorry, from uh, 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Tuesdays and Thursdays, playing whatever is relevant for competitive magic. So if you're going to be at SCG Con and you're trying to prepare for that invitational, uh, that's what we're going to be focused on for next week and, and uh, next two weeks, really. Uh, we should have at least three more shows before the interview. We usually don't do one. On the Thursday before the Envy, but I haven't heard yet uh, if we will do one now. Um, so you know they're not doing coverage for for the Envy, so we might have you know the equipment back in the studio. We might be able to get a Thursday show done. Um, but as is, uh, expect at least three shows of prep work for the Envy and Standard and Modern. Uh, we take questions live from the audience, so it's great if you can watch us live during those times. But if not, we the episode, the VODs, I should say, do go on the Star City Games YouTube channel uh, the next day by 5 p.m. So you can watch them there at your leisure. Then finally, there is my stream. I'm, it hasn't come back yet. It's coming back soon. But if you want to throw me a follow uh, so you get a notification when it does, I am Ross underscore Miriam. So just my name with the underscore on Twitch. Tannen, if people want to follow the Braves' run to losing the Red Sox in the World Series, where might they go? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Tannen Grace. That's probably the easiest and best way to find me. I'm on that way too much. I do have a Twitch channel under just Tannen Grace. Uh, it's not super active, but we'll see what happens in the future. I just I'm having a real problem with Arena, so we'll see. Um, and then if you want to see some more of me uh, and some of the work that I do over the next three or the next four weekends, you can check the channel Fireball Twitch channel. I will be doing uh, coverage of all the flesh and blood calling. So if it's a game that you've been interested in, uh, definitely check it out. You can see some stuff on there. You can be completely confused by what's going on if you don't know the rules of the game. So make sure you check it out. I'll be wearing some dope outfits and I'll be on camera and I'll be trying not to get too excited calling this awesome game that's going on. So make sure y'all check that out. But for everybody that's been listening at home, thanks so much, and we'll see y'all next week. 